0: Exist for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network, so for all things media, check out cageclub.me. Hey everybody, welcome back to Excess for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And today, we're living up to all three with an incredible triple header featuring Excalibur 22, Demon Days Mariko, and America Chavez, Made in America, number four. First up, Excalibur 22 sees Josh Arturo, Steve, and Drew discuss this pivotal issue that really changes a lot for this title. Title. I very much agree with a lot of their interpretations and they have some amazing takes and we hope you guys enjoy just as much as we enjoyed making it. And if you do enjoy, don't forget to give us a subscribe over on YouTube or Patreon, as well as on our Twitter at X is for Podcast, where you guys can chat with us, interact about the show, and let us know titles you guys want to see us cover. Until then, enjoy this segment.
1: Welcome back to another episode of X is for Podcast. This week we're gonna be talking about Excalibur 20. 20- 2. Written by Teeny Howard with art by Marcus Toe. Colors by Eric Arseniega and letters by friend of the show VC's Ariana Mar. In the wake of the Hellfire Gala, Excalibur is dealing with racist imperialists in the United Kingdom who don't want dirty mutants around, as well as racist imperialists in other worlds who <laughs> don't want dirty mutants around, namely Merlin. Gambit is learning how to work without his wife around, again, and it's probably good for him. And Meggers, whose preggers, helps Pete Wisdom cope with his resurrection and the fact that he can't go back home. With me today I've got the sad team so let's start with S is for Steven. Steven, say hi and tell us where we can find you.
2: My name is Steve and you can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A and you can also find some stuff that I've done previously on this podcast and also over at X of Words.
3: And A is for Arturo and that's me and you know, you can find me at Mr. Toybot on twitter and instagram
4: and d is for drew
3: i'm Christopher three you
4: can find me online on twitter and instagram at drusopher three that's at d-r-e-w-s-i-p-h-e-r-3
1: and i'm josh wheel you can find me at asleep at the wheel w-e-i-l on twitter and asleep at the Wheel.com. and for the next two years as the progressive democrat running for u.s senate in the state of florida you can find me across social media at wheel the number four u.s senate and at joshwheel.org. so let's start
3: as a to .org, which will take you to a whole other site. Also mine,
1: but very different content. <laughs> <laughs> That's that campaign's going to be watched. So, let's... <laughs> let's start with... The new Saturn 9 and Betsy dynamic. I know I, I normally love going through these in chronological order, um, but I'm going to jump kind of a few pages ahead. The issue does open with Betsy on some official Excalibur business, and we will get back to that. But for me, I think one of the, the big deliveries in this issue was getting to see these two learning to begrudgingly work together like they're in an 80s buddy cop movie. And I can't believe it's taken us this long, like that we have to be post Hellfire Gala to get to this. Place that felt like we were being set up for out of X of Swords. Let's talk. What are some of your opinions on the Betsy Saturnine office dynamic that we've got going here?
3: Well, and by office dynamic, we mean sexual tension that you could cut with a butter knife. Like
1: you could cut with a, a starlight sword.
3: <laughs> I love this. I agree that it's a little shocking. It's taken us so many episodes or issues to get back to this scene, but I think it's a, it's a good payoff. I think it's I think it's good that we didn't jump directly into this after Ten of Swords. You know, Betsy had to go on a little bit more of her own journey but seeing her in Saturnine, it's, it, it bodes well. I'm happy to see the Excalibur team playing in, in Otherworld. I think that is like the biggest opportunity that, that Tinny has uh, has created. She, she's built this big lane where she fleshed out Otherworld and in Ten of Swords we got all these different lands and now we get to play in that sandbox and Saturnine is such a key part of that.
2: Yeah, I'm very excited to see Excalibur gallivanting through Otherworld and all of its various kingdoms, finally. I've been wondering what's been going on with Sevoleth and with Hot Hive for so long that I feel like it's starting to drive me crazy a little bit. Those were by far some of my most favorite new additions to the Marvel Universe from the Ten of Swords tournament. And if we're going to be expanding in space, I also love the idea of expanding and exploring through the magical realms.
4: Yeah, I agree with you guys. In X of Swords, they set up these data pages for every single place that were like, you know, the full page and like they were long and building all these worlds. So to finally get to go and actually see them, it's going to be exciting. But this scene here, it actually reminded me of like a quiet council meeting. Mm-hmm. And I know that like... In Planet Size X Men, they did mention that there's going to be like a bunch more councils than like what we think in like the Sinister Secrets. And I totally forgot about this one.
3: Yeah, it feels like the X Office realizes that they've hit on something that, that works. It's like a good narrative device to just have these little board meetings for resistance to just saying council meetings. And it allows for debate for them to kind of do an exposition of like what the situation is. And it's a lot more interesting than. Those are our adversaries. We have to go crush them and eliminate them. It's like no, we have to coexist with them. We have to we have to you know debate with them. We have to compromise with them. It's just it's more realistic to, to how how life works. Yeah, and I'm really I'm into like the politics of whether it is on Krakow or
4: another world.
2: Yeah, I think it's a very TNG thing. It takes the battle and clash and turns it more into a philosophical debate that must be met with either compromise or you know overrunning it.
1: For me too, and, and all of those things are great. And I, I do really like the the politics and the drama. I also think that these types of like having your own version of a quiet council or like a kind of a, a proper forum like this plays very much into the British feel and nobility of an Excalibur title. Um, one of the things that I really like about this, and I don't think I'd noticed it until now, but like it became very clear to me in these pages with their dynamic, is that Saturn brings out, I think, I don't want to say the best version of Betsy, but the most complete version of Betsy. Because since, I mean, really since Mystery and Mad Report, like since Betsy got her her body back most of the time for that being here in the the Hoxbox era, you know, we've seen her being kind of overly softened, right? So we know that the Betsy pre acts of vengeance, pre Conan Body, right, was tough, right? I mean, she she had the good, she was a tough mutant, she was, you know, had been a spy, she she had this background, but she was also a kind of softer, more feminine character. Um, in the you know, Jim Lee a Asian, ninja, assassin, sexy, you know, whatever body that you know, she spent the next 30 years in, we saw a much harder side of her, like we saw cold blooded killer Betsy, like we saw assassin Betsy, we saw, you know, a a very different side of her, like or something that she grew, she was hardened through that trauma into something else. And so yes, we've, we've been getting to see the softer side of her again, but it has felt a little bit Bit like the silock of the last 30 years was just kind of missing and i feel like in these interactions with saturnine that we are getting the like the bitch who will cut your throat as well while still having all of the you know the high honor of you know the honorable nature of you know the the british betsy braddock and you know the 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 asian sense of honor that was kind of applied over that onto her character for a while it's all kind of Together in a much more complete character package when she's interacting with Saturnine here, than I think we see in any of her other interactions in these books.
3: And I I totally agree with that. And another thing I want to call out that I think is is worth noting is Betsy shattering to a million pieces in Ten of Swords. I think in hindsight, I think that was brilliant on a level that I didn't even appreciate it at the time because now that she's back we have in this hox era we have this new paradigm where you can you know and and we have it in this issue we have this egg hatching moment where it's here's this character almost a blank slate you still have all the notes and whatever from their 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 history that you can draw on but here it is they've been reset for you and and that goes you know in many different ways as it goes but with betsy shattering and then coming back and like that whole convoluted story it really has given tinny a place. where like she now is writing I think the definitive Betsy Braddock where she's able to deftly do all of these deep pulls from pre you know and Jim Lee art body and really make this a character that is both familiar and true to who she was and how she was written but also new and fresh and very different from Psylocke slash Conan. like I think that break and bringing her back together really was a reset
1: and we know that from interviews with Teeny. Tini knows the whole background of this character. Tini loves Betsy. Like there's a reason why like Tini's 1st X ex-book, Betsy was her first choice character. Like that's what this pitch was. But yeah, maybe it just took her a while to get here and we're seeing it first in the Saturnine scene or we're seeing it more in the Saturnine scenes. But yeah, I, I hopefully this is the type of Betsy that we really do see leading more often. The one that feels more like the complete next step of someone who has been through every part of the journey that we've been on with her
3: yeah and also i feel like she is very firmly entrenched now in the captain britain identity and with with betsy it's kind of like okay well that's who she is now but like it's going to change eventually but i think with that whole shattering moment and now the core the 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 captain britain core being you know modeled after her as the prime it just changes things it, it doesn't make it her just wearing brian's outfit anymore it's her as the central Captain Britain and she's feeling more competent in these last few issues than she did, you know, in the first few issues of Excalibur. She was a goddamn mess.
1: And the whole interaction with Saturnine feels better too because it does feel like we have a Saturnine that is a little more properly prioritized now. That like, yeah. you know, nailing Brian through a wall is still very high in her list of priorities but ruling other world is a little more
3: important. Listen, pegging Brian is on so, all of our list of priorities. Now, Ma- Megan has some
1: shape-changing like how what do we feel never mind um going back to the beginning of the issue right so we open we open with hank mccoy on otherworld right and the fabutastic tastic sheriff geo whitechapel is anyone else a little disappointed that
2: geo whitechapel didn't put one in hank mccoy's brain i mean it would have been i guess like a little satisfying but i'd rather it come from like somebody who's not just shooting wildly it's a mutant they don't know i would prefer intentional pain to come to hank
3: yeah i'll take sage slapping the dog shit out of hank any day of the week i love a shout out to ben percy because as soon as you see beast on page you're yeah. like oh what the fuck is this shitty underhanded yeah you see shit looking at rocks doing. and you're like all um, right
2: what's he fucking up now
3: it's great it's great and like by the time i got to the end of the issue i was like wow look at that beast did not beast was not awful at all this issue but it's just it's great that that's like now part of his his character it's it's wonderful
2: yeah he was at least a little smug and patronizing they let him get away with that at the very least they're
4: kind of building that like other world is kind of like racist against mutants, obviously, because of what happened um, in X of Swords and like they caused a lot of destruction. And so we're getting this like people like, oh, these witch breed, blah, 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 like, you know, like racism. But then like it kind of goes, oh, you guys aren't that bad you guys can keep doing what you're doing. It's like, so are you like, do we hate mutants or do we not hate mutants? Because you're saying one thing and then you're saying a different thing that contradicts what you think. So it's kind of like... Well, it's just, no, I'm...
3: but I feel like that's just part of her character is she's she's very, you know, Geo Whitechapel's like very practical. Like she's going to be wary of these mutants and, you know, but she's also not going to just... Uh, she's, going to, she's going to figure out her view on yeah, that also... herself just because everybody else is fearing them and hating them or whatever isn't enough for her to, to hate and fear them as well. It's enough for her to, like, be cautious, but she's gonna go get her own her own read of them.
2: Yeah, and plenty of people will throw slurs around and be like, you blanks aren't so bad after all, you know? Like, they'll... <laughs> I don't know. That's a pretty common thing, in my opinion, for people who still have, you know, biases and prejudices that they're just not saying out loud. And Geo Whitechapel, interestingly, I don't I've never really fully bought the witch breed thing, like people using like magical people using the term witch breed to refer to mutants. Like I get like maybe medieval peasants being like, oh, witch breed? They're so scary. They're mutants, you know, but magical people referring to them that way just always seems like inauthentic and it doesn't work for me like well, you're I, a witch i not i like where the
1: kind of um prejudice for magic people against mutants comes no i just from. the
2: name witch breed doesn't make any sense to me
1: because it felt to me yes i like where the prejudice against magic people comes from though because it feels to me like you know magic is always told to us that it has to be earned and whereas i could see them easily looking on mutants who were just born with these powers and feeling as if that they have unearned magic and so not not to say condoning it but i do like and and i like the way the juxtaposition is being played here that Excalibur is you know kind of this in between of three places they've got Krakoa they've got Britain and they've got Otherworld. and two of these places right now are both you know they're they're the outsider very much kind of dealing with you know the the minority prejudice and the bullshit um on both ends and I think that brings us nicely into our next scene here where Pete Wisdom comes out of his egg right and you know the first thing he wants to do get me pants get me a gate and go fuck. Some people up. And then, you know, it's not the death that's hurting him. It's the real pain comes when he finds out he can't go back to England anymore. And that's where we see him just collapse into Megan. That's where we see, you know, the scream, the, the no, that's where, you know, we're getting into it. And, you know, for someone who's read, you know, not just the Warren Ellis, but, you know, really after, right? So the, um, the, the Wisdom, Max miniseries, the the Captain Britain and M13 stuff, um, you know, Pete Wisdom, England is is like he is an england character like he's not captain britain but he is very much you know dependent on that place as well and it's a big part of him and we see the pain it causes him um, in a beautiful panel that last thing i want to say is i love that Heaney and marcus both respect the fact that uh, warren is allergic to shirts here in that bottom panel um as we see him flying around topless the way warren should always be yeah so the pete wisdom resurrection let's talk about that
3: one thing i do resent the lack of chest hair on warren i hate when people make him smooth but i'll just say that you know he was far enough away that you couldn't get into that level of detail but warren has a regular appointment to be waxed you know this i hate that maybe he did in like the 90s but he's very over that now he's he's back to being natural it's natural. And that's, that, that I think is a neat trick that Tinny has done is, in my estimation, she has not made Pete Wisdom too likable. Like when he got sacrificed, I was kind of like, all right, good. You deserve it, you dumbass. You're, you're like betraying your mutants. I mean, not betraying them, but you're choosing to stand with these bigots rather than really stand beside, you know what I mean? So I feel like he needed that, this betrayal. He needed to be broken and, and born again for me to actually give a shit about Pete Wisdom now like it's nice to see that that strategy of you know conspiring with your enemies and trying to work with them did not work out well for him. Like he was literally That's a the nice token way of putting mutant. It, the wisdom he that the we token saw killed
1: was British. Yeah, Pete, and right. the one that was came out of the egg is now Kroko and Pete.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I appreciate all the quiet moments of, of and and you know, shout out to Marcus Toe for the art is, is really great in this issue. Uh, but just seeing Pete and you know, without a, a lick of dialogue, just kind of seeing him go through this journey of you know seeing Braddock Isle surrounded by British forces going to Krakoa having a drink going to I guess the tree of unresurrected mutants and and finding his uh, his folks it was good it was just really well done good good example of the art being able to tell a story
1: yeah, I love that. And the way it was done without words, reminding us of the tree and how many mutants still haven't come back. Because um, I'm constantly reminded of how, you know, in my own brain of how many mutants haven't come back. I loved that as a little subtle touch for, for how much there is still to develop
2: in terms of that part of the Hawks the yeah, era. Yeah, absolutely. I had almost forgotten about the tree. So when I saw it, I was like, what is this memorial for? <laughs> Something.
3: Yeah, it's just like a good reminder that there's just a tree full of opportunities for new stories and you know it's like limitless it it really it's a nice way of reminding you just like how much this era rocks like oh you haven't seen allison double in 40 years of publication no problem.
1: Moving ahead, Betsy leads a team with Jubilation, Remy, and Julio into Merlin's Castle, where they free some pig slave. And then we get the callback to the deck of cards that Gambit stole before the start of Ten of Swords. With a very interesting, like, I was, my curiosity and interest was completely peaked by the luck card having long shot on it. It's and so, what that uh, might tell in terms of characters that we see popping up in this book. Yes, I I love that touch. And it brings us to
2: Excalibur.
3: It gives me hope that we will still one day possibly get a ton of swords Terra deck.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Especially Longshot is such a good choice for this because not only because he has luck powers that sometimes turn against him, but because the Wheel of Fortune itself is about like the rise and fall and cyclical nature of kings. And he's from the Mojo verse. Like, what is more, what's more inevitable than the rise and fall of dynasties and the erasing of his memories and him playing out the same life over and over again in different incarnations? It's I don't know. It's a really brilliant work on Tini's part there.
4: Yeah, I looked up the the meaning of like the Wheel of Fortune card itself. And- it says here it's like surrender release control flow and life lessons
2: the wheel of fortune also appears to king arthur in a dream famously before one of his battles so i mean this is it ties in very specifically to this issue in a number of ways that i really appreciated
3: well, and in some ways, like you know, back in back in the '90s or I guess late '80s, early '90s, Gambit basically took Longshot's spot on the team, right? He became the you know acrobatic, sexy you know guy. So like, see, just seeing him pull the long shot card was kind of yeah. cool. you know, it, it'd be it'd be almost like uh like if Jubilee had pulled it was a, it Boom was such Boom a good card, choice, in you know, like a
2: number of ways. Loved it. Bring
1: back the. To- I love that, you know, this is an Excalibur team that as they go around, like whatever their mission is, like they're stopping and freeing slaves and fucking up other shit that's wrong. It's a very, I think, good kind of strong moral part of like what this team is and kind of what breaks them from. Yes, they do play this imperialist kind of role in other world, but they're also our Krakoan team as well. Like it's a good blend of who they are. And so we, we see them in merlin's you know castle tower locked room and we get the fuck weasel himself coming in and threatening to execute them which we know ain't happening so julio creates a big giant tunnel and takes him to an underground train that gets just the gambit powered to try
2: to execute them
1: the gambit express don't want on nothing but gambi
3: <laughs> that was perfect i i love our little like D squad right now i want to i, I I've got a controversial take and it is that Rogue leaving this team is the best thing that has happened to this book because, and I love Rogue, but Rogue, having Rogue and Psylocke, it was just like too much at the top. It, it relegated Gambit to like being absolutely boring and it was, you know, Rogue just has this kind of bluster and she's kind of like the fighter or whatever, but that's kind of Psylocke or I'm sorry, that's kind of Betsy's lane now. I was just, I'm really happy to see this team paired down to these four. Fun
2: to see the train too. I was wondering if that was a reference to the whole uh, cross time caper.
3: I
1: felt that Rogue's Place too was like a little off in this book, post X of Swords. Yeah. You know, it was good because she had more of a connection to Betsy than any of the other characters, them going back to the Aussie era together. And also an Aussie era where Betsy was someone who could comfort Rogue when Rogue was going through a lot of split mental dynamics. Because the Aussie era, when they were teammates back in the day was when, you know, Rogue had Carol Danvers in her brain that kept kind of taking over and she felt like a prisoner inside her own body sometimes, which, you know, it, it was part of the really strong empathy that we were exploring amongst these female characters in the post-X of Swords arc. But in terms of the actual team Excalibur, Rogue's place really felt to be kind of like a power dynamic opposite of Apocalypse early on. You know, someone strong enough you know that to keep Apocalypse in check. And post-Apocalypse, yeah, like her place on the team Excalibur, if they were doing anything, felt a little more off. So I'm glad that she's on X-Men
3: now. One thing that I I think this little D&D party could benefit from though is a 100% 100% more Shatterstar. I appreciate that like we're not just slapping these boys back together and and now they're you know a couple like I'm into that it's a it's complicated relationship and whatever but their relationship aside I think he would be a great addition for the team.
1: I am rereading Tim Seeley Shatterstar mini right now which was released shortly before Hawks Pox. And I have to say that the, the massive redirection of Richter in this title makes that miniseries feel so much older and really off. And I know that that should be more of a critique of Excalibur, but the Richter that appears at the start of this title in a dirt box and the Richter that Seeley left us with at the end of Reality Star, because Seeley's was very strongly based on Richter's early X Factor roots. But like these two characters that were like months apart in like our actual world, Publishing time feel light years apart. Like it, it's making that that last kind of real series we got of them pre hoxpox feel so old and disconnected from this. And, you know, am I am I more glad that this is kind of really going off of their relationship from the Peter David run with Shatterstar? I don't know. It has been nice getting Richter on his own. I think I would kind of want Shatterstar maybe in spurts. You know, I'm also a little nervous that a Richter Shatterstar dynamic in this book might wind up doing what, you know, while we were glad to have Rogan Gambit, we saw that, you know, couple time on the team book didn't play as well there either shatterstar supposed to
4: like i think he is supposed to pop up in this book every i'm sure once in a while in future issues
3: yeah i mean it definitely feels like the ball is in tinny's court with with that now that you know i mean it was either going to go that way or x factor and we all know that we all agree that x factor would have been much better but we are playing with the the hand that we're dealt and and yeah i think shatterstar in excalibur is like the the most likely
1: this team sport. does feel a little
2: small right now though who would you like to see added whether it's Shatterstar or someone else I'd really appreciate Shatterstar being back on the book I say back on the book even though he's mostly an X-Factor and X-Force guy but it'd be I think it'd be good for him to be an integral part of uh, Excalibur going forward
3: I love Rachel over in X-Factor and and I kind of hope that the X-Factor team continues as kind of like the Five just operating they're still even if they don't have a title they're still a a team but if they don't then I think Rachel coming back to Excalibur would would be kind of cool and I think Rachel and Betsy's dynamic would be kind of interesting to explore. Oh.
4: Yeah, I agree with uh, with Rachel, but I also have been thinking about like adding a magic, like a magical mutant, like like magic to the team who has like who can tap into the magic of otherworld or even like if, if they recon her Scarlet Witch or something like that. You know, like a magic mutant.
1: That's what I was just gonna say. What about Wanda? If Wanda comes back as a mutant, I don't know. I mean,
3: Wanda. Oh, God, Wanda. <laughs> <laughs> Wanda doesn't mix too well with X-teams, you know, historically. Like, she's okay with working with the Avengers and, uh, and you know, there was that weird stint with the Uncanny Avengers. But she's never really been an X-Man, much less like an X-Force or a Factor or anybody else. So Excalibur might be a fit for her. They could certainly use somebody like her uh, on the team.
4: But that's what I'm, like, it could be part of the dynamic of her, like, if she does get resurrected as a mutant, being going from being a pretender to a mutant and kind of like well now we have to like you even though we were just told
3: to hate you so kind of that balancing line the thing with wanda is that she's too it's almost like she's too powerful for that role like wanda would be a great let's put it this way wanda would be an awesome candidate to replace saturnine if something were to happen to saturnine right like she could be this omniversal like but like a dnd party seems a little a little small potatoes for her but who knows i mean i think now yeah now with with her murder mystery and you know we're, we're at the the precipice of like a huge wander reset, so they could do a lot of different stuff with her. But to me, she feels more on that Saturnine level than than this uh, mm. raiding party.
2: I'd love to get Pixie on Excalibur. I changed my answer. She's an
3: oh, good answer. She's become this little Wolverine good where answer. she shows up in
2: literally every book in cameo roles, and it's been wonderful, and people enjoy it. And uh, I just want to see more actual magical characters. If Megan can be why not Pixie?
3: Right? Yeah. No, that I think that's that's the right answer right there because she yeah. and she does have Fae blood like she yeah. does have and a connection welsh. to other world that has not really been yeah well explored yeah i mean there's i would so love to see the dynamic between that.
2: her as a welsh person and Britzy. at betsy has this british captain with the union jack displayed right over her chest all the time
3: can we just start yeah, calling that's fine. her Britzy? <laughs> that's be great. That's perfect <laughs> britsy And we
1: have the agents of Strike. Gast, Albedo, Xanth, and Rubido, who are Pete Wisdom's, right, former... team members who died in the field and are mutants and so the five has resurrected them now i was when i saw that he was resurrecting old teammates i was thinking we were getting some from the wisdom era that i had mentioned earlier like his max series the captain britain mi-13 but these are from a different place so steve you have some little more information on these characters Uh, i have a little bit of
2: information on these characters i have not read the series that they're from they're from daredevils which was a uk reprint magazine kind of deal but that also did you know captain britain tales sort of like my very favoritely named comic ever hulk comic in daredevils i think it's like three and four they first show up as members of the side division of strike which was an organization that betsy was a part of Uh, she was a member of the side division herself and basically they were all killed by Slaymaster one after another, or most of them, not every single one of them. But it's interesting here that we, we get these four characters who were basically just, you know, single names, like one of them, Tom Lennox is Betsy's old boyfriend, and when they were together in the service, he, he died while they were psychically linked, and it traumatized her. The uh, Kevin Mulhern, Xanth, uh, as named here, Xanth, they're all given new code names as mutants, was also killed by Slaymaster while he was performing as Dr. Destiny, I believe, a, a stage mentalist. And Vicky Rapian Rubito, also killed by Sleigh Master. The only one that wasn't, I believe, was Allison Double, who got away and died later in a car crash, as we see here. But they're all they're all given alchemically and Jungian linked names here for the very first time, which I think is really interesting, the choice of, you know, the 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 three colors of Purification and awake, uh, Awakening and Rebirth. One of the names has changed to Gast for, I think, clear reasons when you see the original word, but it just has some... Uh, negative commentations i guess
3: helpful helpful thing here to remember the code names i just realized their code name is tied to their, mm. their color or, or the, their humor so like you got a black redhead blonde and yes and, and allison black double is also
2: a, an albino so she has very very pale skin as well so she's out she's albedo the color white
3: yeah yeah i love this like i i am not really familiar with with strike other than it existing like i I knew that you know coming up with the with comics or whatever as part of Betsy's backstory, but I had never really read the issues myself. But I am such a big fan of these deep pulls, even even when it's not a character. Like sometimes it's gonna you you're gonna hit the lotto right. Like uh like I know Josh, you can appreciate when we saw Rhapsody appear in in at the gala. Like that's a deep pull. That was like yeah, I was screwed. so happy. Like a, a character that got like she she was literally. In one, maybe two issues ever, but she's back and you know, it's not a big deal, but like it resonated with me. So this doesn't have that resonance, but I'm still into it. Like I'm I'm happy that we're gonna now flesh out pete a little bit by giving him uh, a little you know a little cluster a little team i can't wait for them to start playing with mutant magic and linking up who knows what yeah i love the idea to play around with union Uh,
2: psychology or alchemy or both a lot of fun to be had there uh bring in more actual magic to the series Mm
3: -hmm. yeah i i I love this like this this issue tinny did a really good job of playing in both on both sides of the, the playground that she's built and you got some krakoa stuff and it was some of the better krakoa stuff that we've seen from her with with these four coming back and then you got you know some of the best world building in in other world that we've seen since ten of swords
4: yeah and i think that's like one of the best things about not even just like this series so far just the whole thing the Hoxpox pox docs zox rocks bringing back all those like Rhapsody and like those like small characters that were like you know like we know them but they've only been in two issues like 30 years ago deep cuts like, and you yes deep cuts and using them and rectifying them to give them more purpose and like if they're not gonna be if they're not gonna be a major character at least like like um give them something that kind of like concludes their purpose like mask in, in marauders you know he is now a plastic surgeon which is perfect for him it kind of completes his story you know he's found his purpose in this in this world yes he is like a minor character that we don't really need to do anything with any like you know what i mean like what are we going to do with mask but he has found his purpose i would say that his character is very like come for a full circle.
3: Yeah, it's fun. It's great that that like they're finding a place for everybody, right? Whether it's on a team, whether it's you know on Krakoa, whether it's in Mad Report, like there's there's something for everyone to do. Whether it's playing golf, they're these 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 characters are coming back, and they're not just coming back for the sake of they're
2: fulfilling uh, that promise that everybody comes back, and they're doing it on the page over and over. I really appreciate that.
3: Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I think like one of the big criticisms uh, during was was you had angel and wolverine and nightcrawler and Jean great like all of these characters died on the space station and then they came back and you know some some haters were like oh well this sucks because now you can always just bring people back and it kind of felt like yeah i guess that that could be like a trope that we could fall down like where every issue just ends with people dying and then they come back and it doesn't matter and i think we've seen some people play with that a little bit you know i didn't um, say as um, opposed person, to the last person,
1: 30 years yeah, of was, comics where characters have about.
3: been dying and coming back and yeah. right right but like yeah and like Ben Percy with like Quentin choir has like kind of played with that you know they killed Kenny again kind of thing but it's great that that's not the only thing that's happening that we're also bringing people back introducing them as a character and then they don't need to like look at malice you know like who knows what she's doing right now on krakoa like you don't even have to really care it's just nice to know that she's alive she's in a body and she's out there you know figuring it out and now it'll be you know, we got four new mutants you know to to welcome home. It's just it's a great it's a great vibe. I got a question for you guys.
1: Let's look at the final page here, right? So, after bringing back the Agents of Strike, we have one last page where we see that Merlin has a mysterious powerful captive, slave man <laughs> in a cage. And it is none other than oh my god, King Arthur, which I mean, I don't know if they're selling a lot of copies of this over in England right now, but like I got to be honest, like here in the states like you could have made that George Washington and we wouldn't have given a so fuck so i don't know if that was supposed to play
3: as a big reveal but ooh it arthur so if it
2: was George Washington oh my god <laughs>
3: Yeah, that was uh I don't know, that was a uh, the a weird reveal. Like I and I gotta be honest, and this is like my own bias coming through. As soon as I saw that ginger with a beard in a cage, my first thought was of course Shatterstar and that they had like Benjamin oh rustled him again. So, you know, we narrowly avoided that. But yeah, Arthur, I know that was supposed to be like a big cliffhanger moment. And you know, like I said in the green room, if you didn't give a shit about Merlin, wait till you got a load of Arthur because eh who cares you know i don't know who knows maybe yeah. it'll be interesting the only but... thing
2: that was interesting to me about the arthur reveal was again looking back at the wheel of fortune tarot card that we saw earlier with longshot and thinking about how king arthur had a vision of the wheel of fortune and how the point of it is that kings may be sitting at the top but in a second they'll be cast down and crushed underneath the wheel and so here we have a deposed king and here we have a deposed wizard who used to rule all of reality it seems to be gearing up for some massive changes in the hierarchy
1: it is bread heavy One one of the things that I'm reminded of when I see Merlin and Merlin and Roma is how many interactions we got of Forge with them back in Uncanny X-Men leading up Fall of the Mutants and then again in Howard Mackey's X-Factor. And if we're going to have, you know, some Merlin shenanigans here, maybe Forge is a character I'd love to see come over because he has that shaman mysticism side of him as well, too, that that plays nice with the magic.
2: I, I would love to never see the adversary oh, cool. again, frankly, but the Forge can come back for sure. Yeah,
1: we don't He's need the not... adversary, but
2: yeah. the rest of
3: it—that's a cool idea. I, I right. like. I don't need Forge to join the team, but I would love to see a little adventure in other world with him. That's that's really cool.
1: Last thoughts on Excalibur 22. Uh, I
2: enjoyed this issue for the exploration of various European magical systems. Always a fun time for me. I'm starting to come around to the idea that this book is not going to be the mutant magic book that I wanted it to be. It's going to be the British magic book that ultimately is the grounding for Excalibur and Captain Britain. I'm still going to enjoy it going forward, but I just need to temper my expectations for what kind of magic we'll actually get to see.
3: I totally agree with that. Excalibur is such a... I I think in a a recent episode I called it you know the the box of chocolate like you never know what you're gonna get with each episode or with each issue some are great some are just okay and I think that's all right but I do feel like you know what issue is this this is number 22 yeah I mean it's taken us a while to get there but I think tinny's built a really cool team a really good story and and I'm excited to see what what comes ahead I would love to see shatterstar and pixie soon but but yeah I'm into it I'm into it ups and downs, warts and all. I like Excalibur.
4: Yeah, I agree with you guys. It definitely like it had a slow start, But I think post X of Swords, it's really it's kind of gotten its footing a little bit better um, and kind of knows what it's it's doing. And maybe it just needed that setup. And it needed X of Swords to be able to do that. Yeah, as for this issue, I liked it. I liked it. I'm kind of curious to see where it's going to go with Arthur and that like kind of what his role in the series is going to be. D- despite picking at it a little bit here and there,
1: I did really really like this issue. It was my favorite X book that came out during that week. And Excalibur has kind of very subtly crawled its way up to be one of my favorite books on the line each month. I loved what Teeny did with the Malice storyline. And I have so much appreciation for how much Marcus Toe we're getting and how consistent the art has been on this book because it is it, it is one of those perfect matches for story style writer to pair with an yeah. artist. He does such a great great job for this part of the world and and yeah it might not be the mutant magic book anymore but it has evolved nicely into kind of the other world x-force <laughs> Which uh, I'm enjoying for its own rights. I mean, X-line and the sandbox they're playing with, as big as it felt like it got after Hoxpox, has only gotten bigger since then. Like adding in ten realms of other world and you know, really the entire galaxy that, you know, we are now storm is the regent of soul, and we have, you know, mutant planets, and I mean it's gotten yeah. so big. And so this really being, you know, if if X-Force is X x-force earth and excalibur is x-force otherworld like i'm cool with that
2: you know it's it's not what it was but i I think it's gotten better and
4: then is is sword x-force space
2: i would love to not think of them as x-force anywhere like x-force is just the shitty guys on earth and then there's these cool guys maybe in the magic realms and these really cool guys in space but (laughs) i would love to not compare any of them to x-force at this at this time
3: one thing i do want to say about marcus toe's art i love the way he draws betsy he does this like there's there's one panel with betsy and saturnine talking where betsy's nose is just like i I don't know it's perfect like i love That's that what i was gonna say i but, love
1: betsy's nose he does betsy's uh, nose yeah. so good
3: yeah, it's it's like the kind of nose you would get a nose job for, like to look like that. Like it's she's got a perfect little nose, and it's just he's done something where she is again. I say this all the time: a very clearly different character from Conan, and I think that is, you know, if nothing else, that's a hell of a feat that that Tinny and Marcus To have pulled off. That Betsy is a new character, or, or not new, but a, a freshly separated character from Conan.
4: Yeah, and even going back to like that first scene, well, one the color is, like, stunning. The art of Gia Whitechapel, especially on the page where, like, she's, like, tipping her hat, it kind of reminds me, it, like, gives me very, uh, Pepe Lara's art. Toes art on, uh, Excalibur has
2: been really good the entire time.
1: Yeah. and if we're gonna give props to everyone, we can't leave out Ariana, because there is an incredible amount of just consistent sound effect lettering blended into Mark's yeah. part here panel after panel after panel yeah. without ever feeling like it stands out or coming over the top. Um, you know, she is so good at what she does and fits in so well on the title that, um, you know, it's a complete package. And I think one of the things that has made this title stronger as it goes is the fact that the team has been so consistent on it
3: yeah shout out to that one panel where where gambit swats the bullet away and there's a dramatic and like the bullet is the trajectory of the bullet goes through the letters i want to single out that
2: click when she cocks back the gun and the i between the l and the k cocks out of the lettering when when it clicks as it pulls back it is just such a perfect sfx that is so beautiful
4: yeah, even, even when it's uh Pete Wisdom being sad boy Sunday and he's just sitting on Braddock Isle, um and there's like helicopters like way in the background noise. You just it right above it's whir, whip, 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 whip. You know, it's like very small above the the helicopter that I just noticed. And even the the things on the trees, they're like clink, clink, tink.
1: It's it's <laughs> but it's all like throughout. in very small escape, lettering that I did that. The escape is, from Maryland's tower. Yeah, the the direction of the direction of her lettering too, with the escape from Maryland's Tower, with the boom 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 as they're blasting down to the ground the chug 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 being part of the train as it's moving away like she's given kind of sound and not just sound but speed and direction to the sound as well and it doesn't stand out like we're because we brought attention to it we're seeing it everywhere now but on first read it's just there it's just in the background improving the story which is exactly what you want from a letterer um yeah. and I will go back and say again like if you haven't listened to our episode with virtual calligraphy Ariana Mar go back and listen to it now because what her explaining the work of a letterer completely changed what I see like how I read comics and see and appreciate that in a way that I, I never would have expected like I thought I knew everything I was looking at on the page and I have it's my appreciation is so much deeper now thanks to her and what she kind of schooled us with in that episode
3: it's just such a it's a part of the art form of comics that's so unique to comics that and, and i think sometimes it's almost uh it's almost like disrespected like classic like batman tv show when they would do the bow pam like it's easy to just kind of see that as like you know comics like kids stuff but it actually adds a narrative function it gives scenes like a vibe it lets you kind of like play the movie in your head as you're reading it and uh yeah there's there's nobody better at it
1: I compare the work of a letterer to like a defensive back in American football, which is to say that like, if it's good, all game, you don't notice it, it only stands out when they fuck up real bad. And so it gets very little respect or credit because of that. And so yeah, really getting to appreciate and and learn more about it and be able to recognize it has, you know, enriched my comic reading experience and say it again, you know, go back and listen to that episode with the interview with VCs Ariana Mar because she She was phenomenal.
0: Hey everybody, Nico here again, and I love Peach Momoko's incredible reinterpretation of X-Men and kind of the Marvel Universe at large with her Demon Days series. We had an incredible time covering the first Demon Days issue, and now we reunited most of that team to cover Demon Days Mariko, so that sees the reintroduction of comic artist Tori Sheehan and some of her incredible depth of knowledge on manga and anime is truly amazing. We love this series from the art to the lettering, and it's a blast to be able to cover it for you guys, so... We hope you guys enjoy this Eastern fairy tale just as much as we do.
5: Hey,
6: everybody. Welcome to another extra special edition of X's for Podcast. I'm Nathan. You can find me online at Dazzler AOA on Twitter and Instagram.
0: Hey, everybody. I'm Nico. I might be dressed as Robbie Reyes, but I'm Nico. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N.
7: Hi, friends. I'm Tori Sheehan. You can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan and on Instagram at smtori. And I'm Jonah,
8: not reporting on anything this week, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Jonah. that's P-E-A-K, and we hope you survive this experience, unlike Kuriko, but we don't actually know that she's dead, so maybe she's coming back to help Mariko.
6: Ooh, that would be amazing! All right, so today we are covering the amazing Demon Days Mariko. So this is the second Demon Days that we put out so far. They put out so far uh, following Demon Days X-Men. Uh, Demon Days' Mariko is a two-part saga, so the next part actually continues exactly, continues on specifically after this. So I'm excited to get to that. So the story is really like the brainchild of Peach Momoko. She does the story and the art for it. V.C.'s Ariana Mayer does the lettering, which is phenomenal in this issue. Like, oh my God, just like last issue. And Zach Davison does the English adaptation and dialogue. So like, I know when we talked about it before, last time we covered it, which was what, like a month ago now, right?
0: It's I'll like two remember. or three months ago because this book is on like the, the, the new Marvel system of it's never late if it's never solicited in the first place. So this book has a special shipping schedule like America Chavez uh, like reptile. It would seem there is just sort of like this sense of if the book takes a little longer to come out, it's okay. Cause it never has to miss a month.
6: I kind of dig that in a way because you know, it lets them have the time to not rush it through and they like get the full story the way it is, but it does kind of make it hard to like judge when the next one's going to come out. Right. So I think the next one is solicited for, I believe, I, you yeah. Uber is it? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I think I, I think in I in the, September in new October. Yeah, September, October. We've got great Marvel and X-Men elements in it. And it also gives us these great insights into like Japanese folklore. So I know on the first few read-throughs, I was just reading it for like the pure story itself. But with this second and third read, like third and fourth read-throughs, I was like, wait, hold on, I gotta look this up. So like what does this mean exactly? So some of it I'm still kind of like trying to figure out so hopefully you guys can help me out
0: (laughs) I'm going to be really honest as much as I love the uh, as much as I love Japanese culture and the amazing parts of Japanese literature that have broken through to American comics I would say that my strongest understanding comes from what I'm going to refer to as like secondhand adaptations I feel like this might be my first really uh, genuine foray into a Japanese voice doing a Japanese folklore narrative I've extensively read Neil Gaiman, who of course did Sandman the Dream Hunters, but once again that is sort of like a, a white interpretation of uh Eastern lore, and so I definitely am grateful for the ways this feels significantly less Americanized. Yes. Like the pacing is fucking wacky for what we would consider an American comic, but it lays out so beautifully. There's a, a real storybook element to it that I really appreciate. But the truth is I know an embarrassing dearth amount about true Japanese culture. So this did take a lot more research. And then when Jonah said he knew a bunch of it, I just decided to let Jonah teach me. Yes. Um, which I think unfortunately continues the trends of learning about Japanese culture from white people. But... Uh, <laughs> That's where I'm at. <laughs> where
6: were where were you, where were the rest of you guys at reading this? So, Toria, where were you at with this? Because I know I know like you're not super avid X Men reader, but like you were digging the last story. So, what was what was going through your mind with this one?
7: yeah, I was there was a part of me that was looking for more connections to the first uh, to the first issue more than just yeah. the lore. but um I was really I was really taken aback by the by how it starts off with her in the classroom and the attack. I was like, oh, this is going to a very different place. And then I was just intrigued about all of the mysticism and secrets and who is who. The <laughs> I think it's a really strong I think it's a really strong foreway into having the second issue present a lot of questions that will be answered in time. It definitely gets you going, Well, I wanna know what comes next for sure.
6: Yeah, I loved I love the way this this story is actually gonna be directly continued in the next one. I like you said, I was kinda like looking for like we saw Logan at the end of the last one looking at Mariko and I was like, Oh, I want the dog back. Hopefully he shows up in the third one. Um, so, and. and. And then, Jonah, how was this for you reading it? Because you know a lot more of the lore and the stories behind it. Were you kind of like, oh, my God, they're doing this? Or what was your thoughts?
8: I was actually really fascinated with the jump forward in time in that it, this issue takes place many, many, many years after the first one, and I was really interested to see where this creative team was going to go with it, and I really like the parallels that they chose for you know, current X-Men characters, there's a lot of beautiful details and a lot of beautiful comparisons you can make with like mainstay current X characters or characters within the Marvelverse and fit them in within, you know, different cultures' folklore. And I think that the X-Men really lend themselves well to very easy transitions to Japanese folklore and and Japanese mythology like Mariko being a Oni child I think is so fascinating considering that 616 Mariko is a child of the underground and the Yakuza and being involved with that you know seedy underbelly of Japan and what that means for her responsibilities and what she believes in and it's a really interesting idea of taking that sort of character trait of mariko that's really important to her and translating it to something else in within japanese folklore like making her an oni child
6: we talked about where we're at with the story so next let's get a little introduction to the characters so we were introduced to in the last page or two of demon day's x-men mariko but this story is all about mariko so we're getting a lot more of her tale, And we really get an in-depth introduction to her background and her history. I love that uh, we see her as this, you know, she's torn between, you know, being a, a proper girl in high society. And this, like, she's got this underbubbling rage that just, like, seems to want to come out, which is most likely due to her dual identity. Is this a common trope that you guys like to see? the The young girl who's a special girl with a special background who... It's been hidden from her for her whole life, and you know having to deal with the repercussions of her specialness.
0: You know, I feel like we talk a lot about magical girls in terms of the American understanding of Japanese fiction, right? And like, you know, like because, like, like you know, Harry Potter is a magical girl, right? Like, for all ways that matter, and that's pretty great. You know, in a lot of ways, Logan is a magical girl. Like, if you really think about it, he's this magical boy born into this special family and only his DNA can do the thing. And he is locked into an eternal battle of other dog people versus other cat people. And like, it's fucking ridiculous, but like, you know what we consider the magical girl trope or the Mary Sue trope really is a common trope throughout um, fiction. And we just sort of apply like an angry women can't be special blinders to it. Right. Because we're so used to men leading our fiction. And I think one of the things that makes this story so unique is the way in which it sort of applies. The death of the male identity in a lot of ways. It's not just that the women are, not just that the characters are often replaced by female versions, like for instance with uh, Kurt becoming a lady.
6: But, I love it.
0: Right? Love it to pieces. But, you know, we have this sense. Of uh, the, sort of like the death of the male ego in this story, in a way that I think is really interesting, and I'm really here for it because I feel like I hadn't thought of these characters all in that way. Tori made noises. Did I say a good or a bad?
7: I think I think it's <laughs> I think it's one of those things where you you I I'm removed enough from the from the manga world and the anime world uh, because I knew a lot more in the '90s but to me if we're expand- if we're starting to expand the idea of the magical girl into Like Logan and 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 Kurt and all of these people, at some point you just have to sit down and say that the magical girl is just the hero's journey, but that there is a an extra element provided by society where a girl is always kind of more tethered to the home than other hero, more male heroes would be, and so in this, in seeing Barrico struggle with what is expected of her, what her role is supposed to be, and the hero's journey that she's about to go on, that's where we see the difference between the difference that we would call a magical girl versus just a general hero. And I think, I think it's highly possible that as we move forward into the 21st century that the hero's journey is probably actually going to expand to include feminine uh, hurdles, traditionally feminine hurdles, or or become completely unmoored from its gender constructs. That was way too smart for what I'm thinking, (laughs) but... (laughs) Thank you for
6: so eloquently, like, rephrasing the question. I love that. Oh, my God, thank you.
0: (laughs) There you go. Jonah, follow that up. Follow up what it means to be a woman facing the hero's journey from your guy perspective.
5: (laughs) Go ahead.
8: (laughs) Well, I, I... No, 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 no. And it's a beautiful point that you do make. And I I do think there is a very distinct notion with Magical Girl in and of itself as a genre. And uh, if we're going to break down and we're going to make tangents and we're going to say... We're gonna give it a really loose definition. You can fit a lot of things under magical girl, but in the sense to me, a magical girl is a character, whether it's a boy or a girl or anything else in between, and they are given this power from some other way, whether they were destined to have it or not. Usually it's through destiny. And they're often meant to protect their home. I think of like a lot of the magical girl animes that I've seen, and how many of them actually traveled? Uh, you look at Sailor Moon and a lot of it takes place in Usagi's hometown. You look mm-hmm. at Cardcaptor Sakura and it doesn't really leave Sakura's house or high school too much. It's with all within her own town. A lot of times we don't see the magical girls leave and go elsewhere unless it's for really big story elements. I look at uh, things like Little Witch Academia where it takes place only within that school. So there's a lot to the magical girls genre and I think that when we do loosely open up its definition I think it's really important to note that you're like huh where why don't they get to go on their adventure why do why are magical girls often stuck in one place and it's something that I agree with with you Tori that I think as we move into more and more progressive you know, ways of thinking and ways of that we create our art and as more progressive people do come forward with their stories, I think we'll see versions where you'll have women go on that classical hero's journey where if they are given their destiny, they get to travel, or we'll have, you know, the male equivalent of a magical girl where a boy is just destined to protect his homeland and it's something that I would really love to see the switch up. And it's something that in this story, in con- in the context, I really like that Mariko gets to travel and that she's not just protecting her adoptive grandmother. It's more of she has to find out a lot more about herself. And in a sense, she is a magical girl. She is. She's not going to do with like you know my favorite part of Magical Girl, which is the transformation sequences, which <laughs> take uh, up to if there are it, it, hold on let me just challenge
0: wait challenge her <laughs> entire story is a magical girl transformation as she goes from young lady to hero yeah Whoa. but like
6: jonah like you want right the like want, you know like moon power makeup yeah, I, want,
7: I want sparkly nail polish and ribbons and stars yes. i want it all
8: <laughs> in a, okay Tima. Uh, hold on, wait, mid- wait, wait, wait. I just make a really fast point. In a team of five, which is the usual standard number you'll find for a mm-hmm. magical girl team, uh, it can take upwards of about three minutes to get through the entire transformation yep. sequence if they're doing the full transformation for each character. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll do like the abridged version, but like if they're doing full start to finish transformation for every single character, it's like three minutes. <laughs> yeah
7: (laughs) that's why sailor moon they eventually were just like we have to go to movies or else we're never gonna fit in every transformation of the 12 girls it now takes to get through
0: you know i remember when sailor moon was like it lines up with planets and i'm like wait but the moon isn't a planet and like that took me forever the
7: boy is the planet
6: yeah tuxedo mask he's the earth right yeah
7: he's the (laughs) earth prince
0: yeah but, like, I mean, like, it, it, I'm like, there's only nine planets. Where are you getting all of these sailors from? Like, I swear <laughs> to God, at one point, there's, like, Sailor Alpha Century and her power is she can blow you up with her brain, and, like, it's just what it is.
6: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that, though. I've, I've... I'm doing my first watch of Sailor Moon. I never watched it before. Like, one of my friends was like, Oh my God, you have never seen it. What the fuck? You had to watch it. And the transformations do take up like half the episode. Like, you guys are talking about that and using the power where she's like, You know, like.
8: Moon prism power! Yes! It's. <laughs> um, oh, uh. Moon tiara, something. uh, Yeah. Yeah.
6: Yeah. But like, I'm like, okay, it really does take half. So, yeah. So, thankfully, we're not getting half the issue of her being transformed into magical girl like that way. (laughs) Um, I did love, uh, in probably the most direct, connection to the previous story that her grandmother who did we actually get a name for her because I've read through and I've never really got a name for her besides granny who is but she is a direct descendant of Juju who we saw in that first issue so that was a really cool kind of connection although like you guys mentioned before I really would have liked to have seen a lot more direct of a connection between it hopefully we get an issue three but we also have Miss Black Miss Haruki is Widow also as well who is their nanny but she is also a spy i'm like this is so great it's a great use of natasha as a character and a great way to bring her into the story she's a spy for ogun who is the oni version of ogun but what do we think of the structure of these three women telling the story in such a way that um they they do have all the power they do make all the decisions i love it being such a strongly I love the way that they make it so that they don't have to rely on the male character. There's no tuxedo Max coming in to save the day at the end of this. Uh, what do you guys just take on that?
0: Well, I kind of wanted a, a lady tuxedo mask. Where the fuck is Sai? Like, no, I'm not like not like bitter or anything, but like <laughs> and then, I mean, no, I just like I, I know I hit that really hard and like, I don't mean it like, I'm not like angry, but like, you know, I, I do feel that the disconnect may be shown in this had a lot of really cool reflections of how Claremont used to try to copy, uh, I don't want to use the word "copy." Claremont used to try to conjure up the feelings that might be conjured up by specific manga, right? Uh, Miller and Claremont; those guys were huge manga fans. I mean, Miller went on to do Ronin, like he made Daredevil a ninja. Electra so like (laughs) Miller loved his manga too but so because this has smacks of that it feels a lot like any one of these women could have been Kate Pride at one point Mm -hmm. in one of her manifestations right not like in a bad way it's just Kate has been everything to everyone at some point or another that's the problem when you're the golden girl you get you get utilized and transformed beyond recognition which is you know It's both a blessing and a curse, right? Um, But I really did feel kind of cheated that we didn't get a little bit more of that connection we were looking for. And I thought Psy could have been a great character to bring in. Like, you know, she's still got her eye on this situation. But I understand that, you know, Peach is telling a very specific story. And I am uh momoko here for i couldn't make it happen but i'm here (laughs)
6: momoko here for it (laughs) tori any thoughts on how these straw like any thoughts on the just like the like the presentation of these women is the main protagonist of the story
7: i think it's It's another great thing where this doesn't pass the reverse Bechdel test. (laughs) Again, there's two men who have lines in this and they are nowhere near each other. I think it's a reframing of the way that we approach uh, who should be in charge of their own stories, who gets to interact with the hero. I think it's a you know moving forward of the you know the made the mother crone idea like there's just there's a lot of female archetypes in this that are both being adhered to and turned on their head I mean you know the the grandmother is both magic but also you know hiding that magic the you know Kuroki acts as a mother figure but she's been a spy the whole time and can and can fight and then our little maid is has a huge anger problem and is being shown to not be cons- what most people would consider pure that she's the daughter of a, of an oni and so it's it's a lot of two sides of each coin for each of these women to be playing at the same time and i think that they each bring a lot to to this, and then I think that having Ogan at the end is just a very is is such a huge question mark on how she's going to fit into this and be the foil for our hero.
8: Absolutely, I'm really excited to see what the. Resolution and the falling action of what this story arc will be. There's a lot of beautiful moments told between these three female characters that really makes me, you know, excited and happy to be able to read because the way that it's interwoven, spider pun intended, mm-hmm. is really beautifully done. And it's a character trope that you'll see in a lot of animes with maid characters. Maids in a lot of animes tend to be more than what. They bargain to be a lot of times. They are assassins, and they are meant to give. They are meant to be these really powerful beings, <laughs> which is very funny to say about maids. But even of their non superhero selves or super. I watched devious maids. I know what maids are capable of. Wait,
7: wait hold on. <laughs> I'm so sorry to interrupt your beautiful point, Jonah. But do you you guys know where the ninja idea sort of sort of hooks up with into uh, popular culture in Japan? But back in the day during a lot of no theater the stage crew would be all dressed in black and there was one particular show where normally they hang out in the back and because they're all in black you're not supposed to see them but there was one performance and play where one of the stage crew all in black came forward assassinated one of the characters and stepped into the show and it became this huge cultural phenomenon so I hear you on the maid being obsessed with (laughs) this Yes!
5: <laughs> that
6: is amazing oh my god welcome to
7: theater history
8: <laughs> we, we love that Um, so yeah so it, it's a common trope you'll see in a lot of Japanese uh, media but I think here it was used in a way that felt natural. And it's the best way I can describe it. Because it's also another common plot point. Not just in Japanese media. But a lot of different media. Of a assassin for hire is given a target. And they often end up falling. Or not wanting to complete their mission. Because they start caring too much about their target. Of who they're supposed to mm-hmm. be you know, keeping their eye on. And we see it a lot. But here it really felt like it made sense. Because they bonded so much. And I don't think that Widow was expecting to bond with her in such a way that she would be unable to complete her task as an assassin, and... Um, in Japanese folklore and Japanese yokai in my research that I've done, there have been a couple of different spider yokai, which I imagine we might be getting more of because not to go too far ahead, but spider Gwen will be making an appearance or it's a ghost spider. There are a couple of different yokai that do come stem from being spiders. And Mm. I was really fascinated with seeing this human character take on these roles that you wouldn't often give them and seeing widow in this kind of motherly role of caring for someone so young and basically defenseless and training her to be able to stand up for herself was a really beautiful montage to me.
6: Yeah, I would say that's, like, definitely was my favorite part of this story. Just the, there's a lot of great action moments, but there's the character moments are even better to me on that. When you look at just Mariko talking to her granny, and the granny's like, you know, I'm so sorry, I should have told you all of this. And, you know, can you ever forgive me for deceiving you about your origins? Like, Mariko's just like, okay, I, I forgive you. It's like, you're forgiven, we gotta figure this out. And just the way that she takes the widow's deception in such stride like this is a really really strong character and it's built up yes through part of her destiny and her birthright but also through the training that she's received through widow and the love that she's received from her granny as well probably the one of the more standout things besides the story itself in this whole book is the art Mm. now do you guys have any do y'all have any really standout art moments in this book that like what were the moments that made you say oh my god
8: one in particular moment that I really loved is when Kuriko is fighting the female version of Kurt and she kicks with her leg it looks like a spider leg extending and like mm-hmm. that specific like panel was so beautifully done and like the attention to detail of to do that I was like just gobsmacked and blown away more than I usually am with this book.
6: I I know, me personally, like, my favorite moment was when Granny cast a spell to get the key back, and, you know, it's just such simple art, and actually there are really no colors on the page, it's all monochromatic, but just that whole act right there, it just sort of brought it to, like, this more human realistic level to me, for me, that I was like, holy shit, this can be, like, amazing and fantastic, and it's also got these really human moments.
0: Well, and I think from the moment you look at the cover, and I mean any of the millions of covers, right, because there's like six million covers to this issue. Mm. And that's – I wonder if that's what's slowing down the release of the fucking book. They just (laughs) need to make that many covers. But right away when you look at this cover, you're – it's a study in black, white, and red, right? And I know that black, white, and red is a really popular thing right now. It's how a lot of – it's how a lot of books are kind of selling a stylized sort of uh, somewhere between a noir and you know it's it's kind of Sin City meets Kill Bill in all the ways that that really smack right. I think one of the things that this book does really well is it doesn't commit to a single idea of what the book might look like. There's an exceptional amount of variation in the stylization of the faces. Like some of the characters are shown in multiple ways. Some of the characters are only shown in one more cartoony way. And I think it's that sort of balance that kind of keeps us visually on our toes. There are so few shots of the Black Widow where her hair isn't covering her eyes in a way that distorts our ability to trust her, right? So I think one of the things that, for me, Peach did so well was she created an argument for her story in art, right? She used the design to convey what we need to know about these characters. Because let's not forget, we're familiar with these characters. We're perhaps not familiar with these characters, but we know these characters. And in order to shorthand it, yet still kind of accessorize it, she finds a way to blend this idea of who you know them to be, because that's straight up, you know, a great take on the the Miller Natasha, right? Mm-hmm. But this idea of stylizing her with that kind of um, jadeite sloppy hair, right? That was the one that had the mm-hmm, gay sloppy mm-hmm, hair, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it when you compare that to perhaps the grandmother, who at any given point looks truly magical, right? I, I think there's a lot to be said for how the study in contrasts playing against perhaps my limited knowledge of Japanese visualization in American comics is a great way to get me to ask myself, why do I think that can only be shown in one way and push me further with the story? It allows me to kind of surrender my walls and follow whatever weird journey the book is taking me on instead of applying my preconceived notion of both the characters and of Eastern storytelling in Western books.
7: It's actually really- really funny that you say that Nico because again I'm going back to all of my theater history work the kabuki style of of theater is in is specifically uses trope characters a lot like commedia dell'arte where you don't need to know the story as much because you know when someone shows up looking a certain way what's what's coming you know that character you know that idea and so this is the idea of putting these well-known characters into unknown faces unknown spaces and kind of flipping that around and taking you into a new play but with with the faces that you already the, the people that you already know and so i think that that's a really another kind of level element to this storytelling of taking in that that uh like the no plays in the kabuki theater into into the comic book format oh
6: i love that, I love that. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> like, I, I, without that knowledge, I would never really thought of it in that way, but that really sort of like reconceptualizes a lot. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh my God.
7: Yeah. And I know it's the wrong Asian, but when she grabs the blade, I'm like, oh my God, it's our Mulan moment. We have it. The wrong. <laughs> yes. It's completely wrong, but I loved it anyway. <laughs> and I think that's a
0: testament to that, even though there are still, and you know, I'm only saying I'm sure there are still problems with female representation in. Eastern cultures as well. Uh, But, you know, that's a way that we have such a a dearth of uh, female kind of warrior heroes in Western culture up until a certain point. I mean, there still aren't enough, but we had such an incredibly small number of them that we have such a, a limited number to pull from that represent other cultures that, you know, it's, there aren't a lot of other popularized images of strong Asian women in American culture to pull from. You're kind of left with Mulan, like with Mulan or. Mm-hmm. I almost said Milanos. And I'm like, you are not left with Milanos. I would not leave any Milanos <laughs> behind. No.
6: No. So Joan, I did want to ask... I, I'm not as familiar, and since, since you're a little bit more of the expert on it, what is the, like, how how prevalent are is the idea of vampires in Japanese culture and folklore and history? Like, what is, what's, how how often do we see that?
0: Well, hold on. I think I can answer this. You see, there is a famous folktale called Symphony of the Night. Ooh. I was waiting for Jonah to boo me. That's the name of a
7: Castlevania Ooh. game. Oh. I mean, yeah,
5: no,
8: I, I...
7: He was just going to let you hang for the fans.
8: <laughs> uh, vampires and vampire isms aren't actually a big thing in Japan. They're not really native, It's really fascinating to think about. Because one of the my favorite things to think about is Dracula is a public domain, as well as Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. They're both public domain that free to use for anybody to mm-hmm. use as characters. They were both created after Nintendo as a company was founded. So you can theoretically write a historically accurate fan fiction of Sherlock and Dracula going to Japan to buy trading cards.
7: Yeah. And I think there's something also where there's like a bunch of extra pirates around at that time. And two, like it's a really weird like cross section of like the old and the new.
5: Mm-hmm.
8: Yes. Um, Japan itself, in Japan's history, and I would love if someone much more knowledgeable than I do, from from my understanding, would be able to like educate us on it. But from my understanding, specific vampires are not really a thing in Japanese folklore. But there are many yokai and mythological creatures that exhibit vampiristic characteristics, like drinking human blood. Um, so it's not really a big thing over
7: there. I was going to okay, say cool. it's more about energy stealing a lot of times than more about blood.
6: Yes. See, and that was kind of my understanding of it too. That's why it kind of threw me that Ogin was abstaining off of the blood of Oni. So I was kind of, that, that kind of threw me for a loop as to like, was that maybe more of a bridge over with the eastern west? Uh, so that that really threw me for that. The big battle scene between Kula and Widow, we talked about it a little bit with that amazing kick that re- resembles a spider. Do we think that Widow was able to hold off? so much more just through more of like her love through mariko and hold more of her own that way against the uni or do we think you know that kula kyla was taking it sort of easy on widow
0: i think that there are you know when we talk about mythology Right. And, you know, Grant Morrison did their super incredible thesis with super gods, and they did their uh, JLA as a pantheon uh, way back in, like, 04, 05, and... I think one of the things that we need to come to accept is that pantheons have pantheons, mm. right? The gods have gods. And I think that, yes, and like, I want to pick the right person. Yes, Hawkeye is very cool and very good, but Hawkeye even respects like Cap and Thor's authorities above him, right? So with that in mind... I feel like Black Widow kind of holds like this mythology position, and I think there's just feats we can accept from Natasha that we would never accept from another person. But if it's an iteration of Natasha, there is sort of this, nah, she can do anything. That we kind of apply to it, you know, Scarlett Johansson was recently talking about how uh, in the second Iron Man, her first appearance, Black Widow was a little more than a sex object. And, you know, she's right and she was right to take the role. And it's really, you know, she's done so much for uh, female superhero visibility. Um, but, you know, at the end of that movie, she kicks a lot of ass. And even though the character is kind of weak sauce up until that point, you just accept it because she's fucking Natasha. <laughs> and I think that's kind of the blinders I use here. I just accept it. it's Natasha.
6: What do we think the significance of the ogan jaw that we see attached to the Tonto blade that she that Mariko had when she was a kid, like what what kind of significance is there with that?
7: Well, when a baby bone sees its mother, Mother die. It takes her skull and keeps it company. No, um,
0: I need to talk to you about the performance mode you just went into and why it's my favorite.
7: I love um... that. I think, I think for me one of the larger questions coming out of this besides who is this Ogan person and why won't Nico tell me is uh, that I actually don't think even Mariko knows what she is going to find out there, what she is going to learn and if she can come back and come back home. And for me, I think that's part of it that this is the, if you didn't think the blade was enough of a oh this might be a danger zone um the giant red jaw bone of a of a mask or or whatever is like that is a huge warning sign of you might not come back here be monsters and for her to pick it up and something in it vibrate within her because you definitely feel that moment of her holding it that it's not just this was my mother's and it comes with me this is this is a I I've felt this rage inside of me this whole time and this is this is a, a physical manifestation of it something so um, inhuman uh, I think I think is just is is just an extra highlight of how this is going to both change her more than she knows and possibly uh, make it so that she cannot return afterwards and you know, I want to just comment
0: that you said that I refuse to tell you who Ogan is. It's not on purpose. I just keep getting excited that you know we're doing this project together. He is a former Wolverine ally ish who would eventually become uh, like dishonorable and started working for the Yakuza. And he is a mutant telepath. And he specifically has creepy, rapey sort of body switching powers. Mm. Who doesn't? And he made a fatal mistake. And I mean, literally fatal. Uh, He went after Kitty Pryde. And so Logan had to kill him. And uh Logan just shows up all the time. Um sorry, Ogan just shows up all the time as a ghost now. He's always trying to possess Kitty or possess Oh my god, he's so obsessed with this little girl. It's so weird.
5: What
8: is it with the X-Writer's fascination with young X-Women and taking over their minds and like trying to possess them?
0: I want to know the X-Writer's obsession with rhyming names. (laughs) Logan vs. Logan, Yuriko, Mariko, and Yukio. I can't even do this.
7: there's only so many cool names in the book nico you gotta right. you gotta just sometimes say well what if we just change a letter that sounds rude
0: you're not wrong <laughs>
6: <laughs> but then but yukio is so much cooler than mariko so like ooh, that would have been i'd love to see yukio show up in this actually but um right that would be amazing but yeah no that was that was a really transformative especially for Kate that was a really transformative story arc the Kitty Pride and Wolverine miniseries with Ogan. Ogan's definitely one of her uh, maybe arc nemesis in the way that he does keep coming at he's obsessed with her like why are you so obsessed with her come on yeah it's kind of gross we get to Ogan's lair and where the Kurt Uh, stand-in comes back and reports that Widow is turned on her like she thought she would, and that you know, what are we going to do with her? And then you see the big splash page at the end, where you've got Mystique stand-in, Sabertooth stand-in, we've got a Ghost Spider stand-in, and a figure in the corner that we are kind of all trying to figure out who it could be. So, like, I know we've talked a little bit about it in the green room before, but, like, what are you guys' thoughts on who that fourth mysterious shadow character
0: is? Well, now I want it to be Yukio.
4: Uh, yes.
0: Uh, I know we kicked around a couple of names. Um, you know, I think. Because this book opens up the door to more than just the direct characters that kind of sit in Logan's path, right? Because that's been the hard part, trying to piece together the threads of exactly who these characters are. You had Psy, who is a sort of Psylocke hybrid character in the first one. Here we're dealing with the Black Widow. We're dealing with Mariko. It's it's sort of a disparate collection of characters. And so I find myself really unsure, especially with Ghost Spider being there. Right? I'm like, what? what is she? Hot Pepper? Ghost Pepper? Here yeah. comes the Hot Stepper? I'm <laughs> terribly confused. So, I kind of am open to whoever they want to throw our way. I just want them to, you know, not not bend over too far backward to include anybody for the sake of inclusion. Hmm.
8: And I, don't, I, I, I think I trust the artistic team vision to not do that because it seems like they kind of just get whatever characters that they want to use because this is a retelling of stories and folklore that doesn't have any stakes to it in the sense that it's not going to affect the larger continuity of any uh, titles that are currently running. So if Peach is like, I want to use this obscure character, and they're going to be this, I don't really see a reason why Marvel would say no.
5: Yeah.
6: <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah, I was thrown for a loop when Venom and Hulk were included in the Demon Days X-Men. I was like, that's interesting choice. So, like, it could literally be anyone.
0: And, like, you know, I do understand that they have a, um, you know, there's kind of like a, a kind of like a Wolverine Venom connection, kind of, sort of, a little bit, maybe not really, but there's definitely a Wolverine Hulk connection, and there's yeah, a Wolverine Psylocke connection, so you could kind of fake lie to me about both.
8: Mm. <laughs> Ooh, wait, 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 wait. I have an idea. I have an idea to throw it out. Ooh, Is it potentially Destiny?
5: <gasps> because
8: looking at the face, and though there's not a lot of detail, it does look Mask-esque. Um, it doesn't fully explain the armor that looks a little bit Asgardian, but <laughs> it could be Destiny
6: oh yes i love that especially with uh mystique poised to be a part of the next issue
5: yes Mm.
6: but that brings up like what something you guys said brings up uh something i really didn't even think of this demon days mariko is really full of characters that are very wolverine related but we don't have a wolverine stand-in we've got mariko who was obviously one of the loves of his life we've got widow who he's got that really long connection We've got the Granny, who's a descendant of that universe's Jubilee. Uh, and we've got Ogan who is obviously a mainly a Logan villain. But this is like a Wolverine story told through the eyes of Mariko, almost, as the Wolverine
0: bandit. And, you know, I think that has to do with the fact that Logan is kind of overexposed in a way that um, maybe people don't think about. Because of Logan's overexposure, he has one of the richest back catalogs of side characters that I can think of. Logan's side character count is enormous and we've grown to have great affection for all of them, but we don't really want to see more Logan all the time because he's everywhere. So putting Mariko front and center in a story like this is a really great opportunity to facilitate wanting more of this univer more of this like character without having to give us more Logan. I can't think of another alternate universe version of Mariko that had precedence over a matching logan. I mean, I haven't read Exiles in a hot minute, but I can't think of too many opportunities to get my hands on alternate universe Mariko's Sans Logan.
7: I will also say that when we were looking at the the opening scene scene that uh there was a moment where i didn't realize that he had cut her hair i had a moment where i was like is this that two bladed girl who's who's a wolverine because that's oh, how the scissors uh... looked like. that's what the scissors looked like in the in the imagery it
6: did i did get a little thrown by that yes no i, I get the yeah definitely
7: and, you know,
0: Laura is my preferred Logan. Don't get me. Well, I mean, my preferred Wolverine. I got to go. But um, I think one of the things that is really interesting about this story as well is that Mariko has a longstanding love affair with Logan. Mystique had a longstanding love affair with Logan. Um Sabretooth had a long-standing love affair, love affair. with Logan. <laughs> uh, Logan and uh, Natasha have a backstory together. Logan and Kurt are very associated characters. Logan and Ogun are very associated characters. And Logan's a fucking wolf in this. Yes. So, Or a dog, whatever he is, right? And I think that there's so much to be said about not showing him and the sort of refocusing of the identity of the story. Is really interesting. I would love to. Oh, and wasn't there a super cool Jubilee? Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So uh, I really would love to see this idea keep growing. I'm a little nervous about the next one. I think we're setting a lot up and that's a lot of really disparate characters, but the cover having um, a red hot chili spider and mystique and I'm guessing saber tooth. You know, it, it's clearly saber, but like, is it a male saber tooth, a female saber tooth? I, I don't know. It, it looks kind of male. So that would be a really interesting shift in the story. Um mm-hmm and I'm really here for that, so.
6: Yeah, no, definitely. And yeah, and I am super excited to see where Demon Days Cursed Webs takes us in that next installment of the Yoshida Saga, although we do have to wait till September or October for it. Um, One last thing I want to touch on is the yokai files that are at the end. I know we had this in the last issue as well, but Mm -hmm. I love how this kind of gives me a brief overview and kind of helped piece together things to start researching when i was like looking into like what's the actual story behind this uh were were you guys fans of this as well
0: or i want back matter um i i want back matter i'm not like i spend so much money give me my back matter but i'm kind of like you know comics comics are expensive so i want back matter And um, especially because the burden of back matter frequently falls on editorial. And I think comics need more editorial in general. And I think if there's more editorial because there's more work that enhances the quality of the book, it would alleviate a lot of the pressure on the editors. We could see the industry be more respectful of the field, pay it better, et cetera. So, you know, I'm, I'm pro whatever gets more editors out there. Whatever enhances the book's experience, because I think too frequently, um, you know, when a writer spends a lot of time with an original character or an iteration that's unique to their world, they have a very intimate knowledge of that character. They have a very personal relationship with that character. But what winds up happening is they now need to express that relationship to the world. And if they can't do that, that that's kind of tricky, right? So by having this area, this slightly prosier area. You can take the burden on a story like this off of having to be 12 issues and you can cut it down to five or six by sort of allowing for that prosiness at the end.
7: I think it's also a great way to uh, hint more towards what's coming and also what's going on inside of the pages. Like, for me, you know, seeing seeing the BAMF when uh, Kuya comes in was like, oh, obviously this is Nightcrawler. But they don't really... F- fight like nightcrawler and so to have this little extra like blue priest moment here really kind of nailed it down for me and it's also like it's interesting this is shit i don't know and helps me understand more where where they're coming from why they chose this particular archetype what might it mean for a future future story
8: I would like to note, I imagine the, um, like the wrapping, like the tendrils or the cloth is similar to how Kurt can use his prehensile tail.
4: Ooh. <gasps> Smart. Smart.
8: Just some food for thought. Um, I personally love the yokai Files at the end. It's one of my favorite things um, that I hope that continues in each issue that we get of this series. It doesn't matter whatever mythology it is. I love looking into it. I love learning more about it. I love different cultures and how their ancestors interpreted the world around them and how they figured, how they tried to, you know, make sense of the crazy world. And a lot of times that involves magic. And I really just love learning about the history of peoples so getting to learn more about a culture that I really love and I love learning about yokai specifically yokai are so interesting because for if I recommend to anybody who has any form of interest just look up a couple different yokai and you'll probably have like a good time laughing because some of them seem so ridiculous and seem so like whimsical in a fun way and then some of them are like oh my god they're so dangerous so I absolutely enjoy them
6: yeah and i love i love how they specified that uh the text was by zach davison and i know i mentioned like the role of him in this story and i kind of skipped over it so i apologize about that but um i think it was good how they changed how they actually credited him for this book just because I don't think people understood you know the level of work that he did with Peach Momoko to make the text make the dialogue. Um, When they credited him in the first book it was just as the translator so like in my mind I thought that he was doing more of just like taking a direct translation of what Peach did and just translating it into English but when they conceptualized it that way I can see it's more of them working together to create this whole story. Obviously peach had her ideas of where she wanted the art and just like the general layout of everything but he was able to help create the dialogue and make it a reality
7: for sure no this was just this was just as beautiful and lovely and interesting for me i think it was still um you know it's still that little bit of an intro it's still that little bit of a setup story uh issue for the for the rest of it so it def, but it does a good job at it it has me excited to see what comes next for sure
0: Hey everybody, Nico here one last time. And in this last segment, Rod leads an incredible room of enormous fans of America Shah that is just going crazy apeshit over issue four. Whether it's the fact that my turnpike exit was right in the book, or it's the continued brilliant storytelling by Kalinda and Carlos, this title has so much impact for a book that's sort of going under the radar, but still generating an enormous amount of discussion on Twitter. It's a huge departure from Who We Knew America to... To be, but in many ways, she's becoming the character she always could, with a more fleshed out backstory and a little bit more realistic grounding in the Marvel universe, instead of sort of a character who'd been traded from writer to writer for a number of years. As always, guys, we love making this show for you. So if you enjoy listening, don't forget to give us a like and a subscribe over on Twitter, YouTube, and Patreon at X is for Podcast. On YouTube, we bring you the Daily X, new content every day, and just about every day, if it's content from the podcast, it's been extended in some way or if in some fun cut so keep an ear out for those and until next time guys keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open and we'll see ya
9: Hello, everyone, and welcome to X's for Podcasts, the comic podcast where we talk about the marvels, magic, and mutants of comic books. I am Rod. You can find me at Rod, The. Hey,
6: I'm Nathan. You can find me online at Twitter and Instagram at
0: Desiree Lake. Hey, everybody. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's
8: N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Pete Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience just like we hope America's brother survives from Catalina you
9: <laughs> wow <laughs> that was a big moment that was a huge moment for sure but that does bring us to the point where we are talking about america chavez issue four today miko can you bring us into who's writing this and doing everything for this amazing issue
0: i would love to as a matter of fact so the episode uh a couple of months ago we were lucky enough to have kalinda on the show and she talked a lot about her process and so it's so cool to get to like now read a book having like spoken to her so i'm excited to say that friend of the pod kalinda vasquez wrote the book and of course the amazing <laughs> artist by Carlos Gomez. He is the artist with Jesus Albertov and the colors, right? Of course, VC's Travis Lanham is bringing in those letters in a beautiful way. And we had amazing covers by Sarah Pacelli, Tamara Bonvillan, and Mark Aspinall. You can tell that I was reading them off of a thing right below me.
9: (laughs) And this issue was really great because it confirmed, well, it was the issue before, like, after the controversy issue. So it was the issue that confirmed either, you know, everyone was... Their, well half of the internet's fears are right or the other half fears were wrong you know it proved that their fears are right uh, i did not have a fear for it personally i actually like this change i feel like it makes the character have more depth what did y'all think about that this I mean, change that's confirmed
0: i mean i like it i prefer it in some ways i mean i love you know I, to hearken back to our coverage of issue three we had one of our contributors raven who is a woman of color who said for her it felt like the idea that there actually could be a utopia for women of color was ripped away mm. and And I have no basis to argue with that. Mm. As a queer man of color, I did always find the idea of this utopia too thin. It wasn't fleshed out enough. We didn't see it enough. We didn't really understand it. It wasn't the utopia story I wanted right? I only ever got fragments of it. And so for that reason, I feel like coming in and saying, hey, here's the actual story and that utopia is this part of it. And that we even see there's some visualizations of that utopia in issue three. And, you know, we get senses of it in issue four. I, for one, welcome our PTSD help you get through the trauma overlords, because (laughs) that is a little bit more grounding for her. It makes America feel realer instead of sort of otherworldly generic
6: i'm i'm always all for making queer characters characters of color actual real human characters i mean obviously there is the fantastical superhero element to it but the fact that you're actually bringing this character to earth and having an earth origin makes her not a fantastical alien like we get so many queer characters or characters of color to be and i i dig it
8: when I read it the first time, I was like, huh, I kind of like the Utopia story more. And then I read it again, and I was like, mm, well, maybe I actually prefer this. And her original backstory, from what I can gather and understand, is a little bit kind of almost like um, Superman, and not to say that other alien or otherworldly people coming to our world and becoming a symbol of hope for America isn't can't be done by anybody because you're allowed to do whatever you want. It's more, <laughs> it, it was just... Just a very generic story that had interesting elements that, from what I can gather, were never really flushed out. And as we've learned from our uh, Heroes Reborn, maybe the Utopians aren't the best. (laughs)
0: And I love that you brought so, up Superboy because I mean Superman, because she can punch <laughs> holes in reality like a superboy. So yeah. that I guess I hadn't realized just how on the nose she is like the red, white, and blue daughter of the oh, way, okay. you know, like it's it's sort of a, a really interesting comparative and I hadn't thought of it. Well, wow, thanks everybody for making me feel smarter on a Sunday morning.
9: <laughs> <And> <laughs> Yay. I, Honestly, I feel like that's what Marvel was trying to do is make her that kind of symbol for like how Superman is, you know, for the American people. But it kind of falls on like America. Superman is the symbol for America because he's an immigrant, you know, correct? Yeah, and technically so is America, even though I think she was technically born in America. Um, <laughs> as the title
8: I, says, made in America, yeah, so she's made in America.
9: in America, so she's not an immigrant, she, but she, told she is us this she,
8: in the title, all along. Right?
9: It was, it was Catalina all along. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it, I feel like this makes it because she's supposed to be like this big Latinx character, and before this. I feel like she was just kind of appropriating the culture a little bit. And that's what people have been saying about this Mm. character, because she wasn't technically Latinx. Like, yeah, she kind of looked Latinx, but she was from an alternate dimension, another world, outwardly in space, mumbo jumbo stuff. So it was like, is she really representing Latin culture? Is she just appropriating it? So I feel like this helps bring it along, especially with her having two like moms that basically gave her power to try to save her life. That even gives it more queer representation, which is. Is always fantastic.
0: And I think yeah. there's also a really funny other parallel that I hadn't considered until listening. Guys, stop making me smarter. So, <laughs> uh, a couple of years ago, there was a Disney Channel original series, Sophia the First. And they announced that Sophia the First was going to be a different kind of Disney princess, like right off the bat. And they announced that her mother was going to be played by the incredible Sarah Ramirez. And everybody said, well, then Sophia the First, that name and a Latin mom she must be Latin. And everybody celebrated Sophia the First being the first Latinx Disney princess, but she was from another world. Like she wasn't from a true Latin country. So eventually they were like, okay, we goofed and you're all really upset about it. And they created Elena of Avalor, who actually, Avalon. Is, meant to, Avalon, who actually is meant to be a Latina princess and much more developed in terms of her culture. So I think you're, you really hit something on the head. The appropriation, if she really is not latinx and she really is alterna x you know it, it, there really is something that i'm really glad you brought that up because i guess i hadn't thought of it as such false appropriation before
6: yeah kind of harken to the betsy braddock body swap kind of thing
9: yeah like is it really representation if that person isn't of that culture like betsy was in an asian body but she's not asian so it's like that's not and who's gonna what asian person's gonna identify with that <laughs> I sometimes I
0: feel like I'm a British lady trapped in an Asian body I know. too. I'm
9: like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Maybe the people that maybe the white people that really liked um, Get Out would have, that. <laughs> but no, not anybody that is, you know. Of my, good culture. <laughs> my
0: favorite thing in the world right now is hot takes on Get Out by white critics. I'm like, uh, I don't think you're even allowed to have an opinion. <laughs> like, know <laughs> your opinion's the problem, buddy. Even when they're positive takes, I'm like, I'd rather hear it from someone else. Yep. But that's just my thing. Uh, and like, wow, guys, yeah, you know, for the for one of the Latin guys on this panel, I guess I I really should have thought a little bit deeper about the Latin contextualization. I just I'm so excited when there is someone like me, right? I just get the blinders. And I'm just like, oh, she's so Latina. I love her. And something happened in this issue that changed everything for me for the rest of my life. And when I'm saying I see someone like me, I'm not kidding. On page five of the digital, that's literally my turnpike exit.
6: I was going to ask. Is that oh, wow. really I'm not the kidding.
0: Place in the world? <laughs> that's literally two miles from my house. That is literally two miles from my house. That is my turnpike exit. That is my Garden State Parkway entrance. That is what I use to pick Jonah up from the train. Like mm-hmm. that is my Garden State Parkway <laughs> exit. So I'm like, like this made me feel so seen that like, I just don't care. That's my house. <laughs> Kalinda put me in the book, you guys. So I just don't care. <laughs> but but
6: is it really one of the worst places in the world? <laughs> like she like she says when she sends her there.
9: Um. um,
0: is it is it five o'clock on a Friday in the summer then yes then it is traffic traffic is the
9: worst (laughs) it's the worst (laughs) hill that is my hell traffic waiting in there for hours i can't see that's what that's what i love about like comic books like this or any books because you felt seen Like this was for you, you know? And before that, you wouldn't have had this connection with that, but now you do, because this is from where you're living and also you're Latinx, so you're just like, this is, you know, I mean, you're not a female, but still, all the other boxes are checked and that's amazing. (laughs) That's what we could do with comic books. That's what we need more of. Um, I wanted to go on another segment and also I'll start with Nico, even though I just went to Nico, but it's because he has such an affection for this subject line that I found interesting this book the possibilities that could come from this so you know how we get the group of women, our group of little girls, not women, they're little girls. Yeah. Um, little women. Little women. Ah Joe and it.
0: Beth and <laughs> Sutton Foster. And Sutton Foster. I don't know any of the little women. Anyway. Oh, no.
9: <laughs> Apparently there's more than four and there's many books.
0: There's like five or six. I and there's yeah. a musical <laughs> and it, there's a lot.
9: I don't I just learned that from my other friend. They like love the books. And I was like, Oh, I thought there was only four and I thought it was one book. I only saw the movie. <laughs> Movie. I only saw the remake movie. There's like a, I don't, a
0: writer at some point. I don't, I don't know.
9: know. Hey, what not Hepburn song a little woman? No I, that's that's not a question for me but <laughs> <laughs> so wait what no was idea. your
0: question for me
9: yeah. yeah my question for starting with you but for everyone what did we think um about the little women that have all the powers and it could become like its own little like group like the green lantern corps you know because i know nico you're all about the green lantern corps what if it was like an america chavez teleporting mumbo jumbo corps because <laughs> they're all still alive and they could become their own little like power group.
0: So I need to preface this with, if you haven't seen Black Widow, shut this off now. And I'm going to even do like a do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do just to give everybody a chance to find the the pause button in case they have temporarily forgotten how to pause. Okay, so I think right now, one of the things that we've seen Marvel attempt to do over and over again, Rod, in a previous episode, you said you love Marvel doing cabals. You love a good cabal. Mm. I think you would love it if next year we had the Hellfire cabal. And (laughs) it could be a beautiful ball where everybody is just secretly planning, not that this wasn't that. But the thing I do want to say is Marvel is very good at specific ideas. And they have a little bit more trouble with other things. Like right? They they don't seem to have the corporate Band- synergy. Yeah, the ba- mental bandwidth to ah. to to execute certain ideas. And they're so good at these long building simmering plans that are put together by councils where everybody's scheming. But you know what? They're not good at making super teams from one power. Mm. They're <laughs> not good at it. They have never been good at it. It does not ever stick. It is not ever a success. For some reason, like Wolverines, when it was all of the characters have adopted the Logan Code. I liked it a lot, but some of it (laughs) made no sense. There was a different writer every other week. There was a different artist every other week. And it was weekly. That was too much. Mm -hmm. And we kind of saw it with the temps with AVX and now the return to Enter the Phoenix where it's this whole, like, everybody gets the Phoenix Force. And, like, that never sticks. And I think Black Widow, in film doing its film version of that, where we'll call them the Red Lady Corps for a moment. Mm Spider-Rats. Right? The the Spider-Rats, right? (laughs) The Widowmakers. I think they are a great example of how you can do this, right? Because think about every time they give us this, there were all the Winter Soldiers. They got taken care of. Every time they give us more weapons, they get killed off in the same run as they're introduced. And this really could be a cool way to simulate that same Black Widow feel in the pages of the comic without having to sacrifice so much of Black Widow's really cool backstory that we've already established over the last couple of years with amazing writers like Marjorie Liu and Mark Wade, where these people have gone in and they've given her so much. And I, I could just talk about Natasha for the rest of my life, but I do think that this is a really great way to do something that Marvel has struggled to do over and over. I would just really like them to stick the fucking landing,
9: guys. I mean, I agree. I I don't can't think of a group that except for the Nova Corps, and they're not even around anymore. And I guess Shield, <laughs> but they're not around anymore either. So <laughs> yeah, like, like you're just you gunny gun stuff. And I mean, shield is gunny gun, gun, but they're mutants. Yeah, but they're all like trained and everything. So I feel like it's kind <laughs> of the same feel, but like not. <laughs> yeah. But that's the that's the only like groups that like Marvel doesn't have any groups right now. Like they have like X Men, Avengers, but that's different.
0: Those are teams. They're Those not like teams, yeah.
9: groups. Yeah, exactly
0: fell apart
9: yeah because i mean the humans didn't take in media so they're like i can't
0: i got into a fight with somebody about that where they were like well no the marvel was never trying to make the inhumans happen and i'm like you listen the fuck to me that's a lie every x-man will every x-man fan will tell you (laughs) he put up with some real inhuman treatment that was so
9: hard (laughs) it was a hard time Do they remember the uh, the TV uh,
0: show? No, no one remembers the TV show, Jonah. Nobody could. It was so bad.
9: It was so bad.
0: It was not a show. Anyway, I'm so sorry, you guys, groups. Yeah. Jonah,
9: I think you had something you were going to say.
8: Well, I was going to ask what about Atlas, but I don't know if that counts as a... Atlas oh.
0: The one thing I will say is when Atlas first debuted, they were the recreation of the 1950s interim post-World War II Cold War era comics. And they featured some of my favorite really cool characters, that offbeat Namorita, the uh, Gorilla Man. Anybody who doesn't love Gorilla Man, I just don't understand. And they featured a lot of really, really cool characters. And when that kept not working, no matter what what they did they said what if we make it this incredible infusion of asian american and pacific islander characters and what if we give them this historically important name and i feel like that already kind of fell apart and half of those characters just went back to the champions
9: where they came from i mean you're not lying
8: (laughs) um So my thoughts on teams are very fast. It's interesting, especially if they have the exact same power because they look to DC's Green Lantern slash other colored Lantern core. And even though they all have the exact same power through the power through the ring, um, it is still, they are still very distinct individual characters. Everybody is unique in that sense, and their powers it, it,
0: are very different. I don't want to be that guy, but their powers are very, very, very. Well, um, it, hold on, I'm gonna play a favorite game show. Um, actually, um, their powers are very different, and uh, they can't stop hating on blue and orange lanterns. And I just need to be clear that they can't stop hating on blue and orange lanterns for whatever reason. Thank you. You're welcome. So,
8: <laughs> what I was going to add to that is. <laughs> Even though it's the exact same power, different people will use it differently. It is used in different creative ways. Somebody will use it. It, That's the beauty of having characters use the same power is that how do you make an individual use it different?
0: One has love. One has fearlessness. One has a really awkward shade of yellow.
6: Yeah, but you're talking about the different cores, but like the
8: whole Green Lantern core, right? Oh, Oh, you mean just the greens. I'm (laughs)
1: so I got to
5: go. Yeah, so like
8: everybody would have something different that they would predict. Reject, you know, and that's just yeah. how I think what of <laughs> their personality would want them to use whatever that fight may be. So having this that I'm going to for right now dub the America Corps of these, all these young girls who have the exact same power set as America Chavez is interesting if it is able to go somewhere, not to continue to talk about like Black Widow, but like a lot of the spider um, they're not developed because they're not supposed to be, especially because the movie doesn't revolve around them. It's supposed to be about Natasha and Yelena. But if they ever did want to make a spider at a movie or show or whatever media, you have to make them distinct because they all have the exact same training, even though one might be a little better than another. There's nothing unique about one spider to the next because they're all meant to be like that. They're all brainwashed that way. So if they do want to go somewhere with it where now that these girls are up and awake, what do we do with them? Uh, I would really prefer them all be, you know, differentiated in some way because they all have very, they're carbon copies of one another, which is supposed to be, it's fine, but give them something that will help them, you know, separate one from the other. But also, after seeing that there's now blonde white ones... I have another theory that Wilhelmina from Homeless <laughs> Brandy might be from <laughs> the America Project. Well,
0: you know, I, I would like to point out that they're all probably different kinds of Latinx, and some people of Latinx descent, some of us who are predominantly Latinx, just happen to look, you know, kind of um, milky sad. And mm. the other side of it is, let's not forget about the large number of South American Latinx people who have German ancestry, you know. Yep. Af- after
9: the war. Yeah. yeah.
6: <laughs> but, but you can do, you can make, you could make an exciting team. Like you can make like a Logan core. I mean, the Wolverine core or like a Spider core. And it would be really a spider, no Spider core.
0: <laughs> what about a Wolverine core? Snick, snick. What are we doing? <laughs>
5: no,
6: but like, you have like a, you have like, like if you did like Logan, Laura, the kid, Gabby, Creed, James, Jimmy. Like you, you can, can put Mavericks them all on, in. Yeah, you could put oh. them all on a team and they would really like their personality differences would really shine and be showcased through it
9: i do have a request if you bring the wolverine court you have to bring the um speaking of blonde women uh, you have to bring the blonde woman that's magic oh, plus wolverine i forget his marvel
6: team up daughter What's yeah yeah I forgot.
9: who did he have that child with who was that her mom i forget but oh i so liked her bring in a wild thing too with like
0: I cannot keep talking about how much I love MC2 and Wild Thing. Okay, but that's actually a thing that, like, about America Chavez that I do kind of love, right? Um, I'm also Greek. I'm Latinx, but I'm also Greek, and that's a big part of my childhood connection to Electra. You know, mm-hmm. growing up, we had, you know, and, and like Jonah will tell you, like, one of my favorite things is around the holidays, my mom will make an enormous amount of baklava, and there will just be delicious baklava everywhere, and it's it's like part of who I was as a kid, and Electra being, you know, Electra. Nachos, and I can make that joke because i 'm Greek, but um, no her being Nachos, i 'm really connected with that, and she looked like so many of my family members, and I felt a safety in her, so when I found out that she and Wolverine, who I idolized as a kid, you know I, I grew up really sick, and I was constantly in and out of the hospital, and Wolverine just couldn 't die, and nothing could break him, so like you know these are two characters that I really identified with and they had an alternate universe daughter. Because at the time, that made some sense, right? At the time, Logan and Electra were teaming up in the pages of Wolverine from issue like 88 to issue like 107. And I feel like Wild Thing is the kind of character that brings me joy. She's Logan with Electra's psychic magic, so she has psychic claws. But I don't think she really makes cultural sense. And I feel like that's what this book sought to do. It sought to create cultural sense out of some silliness. Like, because if you're asking me how I feel about Wild Thing, do I sit here and go, wow, she's a great representation of French Canadians and Greek people? (laughs) I don't think so. But for so many of us, for so many, okay, I'm going to get real for a second. For so many white looking Latinos, we're told we're white, right? And I don't necessarily mean by the Latin community because for the last 10 years, the Latino community has said, if you're Latin at all, you're Latin enough. And that has been a really beautiful building point. And that's because we want room for white Latinos and black Latinos and that delicious shade of caramel in between. And we want room for every sort of mixed race that there that there can be a fusion with Latin, right? And but not everybody outside of the community gets that. Some people who are within the community, I'm sorry, without the community, believe that members of the Latin community are only really Latin if they're browner or if they speak Spanish. And you know, I'm not that brown. And that's just what it is. So I often feel like I'm not really a part of the Latin community. I often feel like I am different and ostracized and seeing America come into being a real Latin woman was just so fulfilling for me because it took this idea of this woman who, she's vaguely Latina. And it made her concrete in a way that, you know, and I'm trying not to hear Kalinda in my head, but like it really did make someone who felt so far away from me feel real. And I very rarely know what it's like to be between two communities. I am a very extreme person in all my directions. So it really was, it was just magical. I don't know. It was just really special. I I felt this was like a really, this was a turning point for America as a character. And I'm just very excited. I'm sorry, I don't mean to keep talking about stuff like that. I'm just so excited.
9: (laughs) I mean, I definitely agree. It definitely was the turning point. This is- this makes America more. I feel like not as a unknown factor in the Marvel universe, and people will probably be more willing to use America now. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of writers are just Marvel in general. We're scared to use America because they're like, she can do so much and she's so powerful. How do we use her? Let's just put her over there, <laughs> like and just not. LGBTQ,
0: X and OPAF. That's too many. Yeah. that's That's yeah. yeah.
9: They're like, there's too many things. They're like, she's a woman first of all. We can't have a two problem <laughs> unless. She's Carol Danvers. that's it. Like they they, they wash everybody else. They don't show Wanda or Monica or anybody else. They just show Yeah, it's like just for Monica. <laughs> right. If gets like, too
0: powerful, they just kill her. Yeah.
9: Or they put her back. Okay, I'm not gonna get into that. But <laughs> I was like, I was I was up to go into somewhere else. But no. Wait, uh, you, weren't
6: gonna, you weren't gonna like lightning bolt Marina in the ocean to like take away Captain Marvel's powers, right? But anyway, Monica <laughs> Oh god.
9: <laughs> <laughs> no, we just put a green dress on her and make her do some dishes. Um so uh <laughs> Thank <laughs> Hey, hey! Like, I, I the, that dress is sexy. Okay, I just wanted to make a joke. I have no qualms <laughs> technically with it. I just the joke was there, and I was like, "That's funny." It's also touchy. So, <laughs> wait, why you got to do that to Lorna though? Talk about her green dress like that. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I actually really like that. One. I like the design a lot. That is really cute. Um,
0: also, wait, real quick, Lorna and coffee and this book. Actually, I reread the four issues because I wanted to be like really sharp for this. The first issue starts with America talking about coffee drinkers. Oh, yeah. So I was like, it's just a really good time to be a strong lady in comics, have full hair, and be into coffee.
9: Yeah, I mean, all the writers are always drinking coffee, so they're just writing characters to relate to over and <laughs> they're over like again. With themselves. They're like, I need my coffee. <laughs>
0: Thank goodness all the characters aren't on cocaine. Uh,
9: I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think some of them have been. <laughs> but I did realize um, after I mentioned like, oh, maybe they could be like a core group or whatever, that a lot of these, well, all the little girls are still little girls. Like, they didn't age. They've been in cryogenesis or whatever apparently. So, what were you going to say, Nathan? I was going to say, but how cute are those little girls kicking that old man? <laughs> that was really cute. Like, I, was
8: like, <laughs> I was like, oh my god, they're so cute, but they're such kick-asses too. Yes. It's like the Star Brand Baby. they going to like the Powerpuff Girls. Oh,
9: uh, yeah. Uh, uh, they can start their own Powerpuff Girl group, which is a good way to actually kind of do it, honestly. That brings me to another point, Jonah, that I just thought of right now. Um, <laughs> and I was kind of think of earlier like so you know how america chavez and her sister have like the same powers what if the other ones have like a little bit different powers because of the you know they have different genes and everything like Ooh. the pop girls they all have like the base same powers but they all are a little bit different because well i guess they're all kind of like the same bloodline but whatever and still like my i still like my theory and my idea the good so can, yeah <laughs> but i don't like my, my other theory is i don't know if they've become a group because they're so young and we already have a young group anyway with the champions, so maybe they'll just have America and the older sister just take them to another utopia-like land, or somewhere in America, are the are the world of Earth, and make them like a sanctuary to take care of them because they're young. So,
0: what about a Wonder Woman parallel? What if they form their own Latina <sighs> Femascara? Oh,
9: I want that. I mean, I, want I would. Please.
0: I just really would like one to not be named the Mascara, and yeah. you know, that would maybe
8: be a, like yes, a better yeah. move like, as opposed to 2020, which is the mask era. <laughs>
9: Ah. (laughs) that was clever that was really quick thinking i love it Uh, I mean, I, I want that now. I don't even want the, like, the... It'd be like uh, the Lantern Corps group mixed with one Wonder- the All the best parts of DC kind of put together in Marvel. And isn't that what Marvel does? Um, so... You know, we have
0: little bits of it with, like, the world and Hickman mm-hmm. bringing back the world. And I, just, I have to say a thing that's been really on my mind for the last, like, two weeks. So many people dropped X-Men after Hoxpox Pox because Hoxpox was one guy's vision and then it had to be six people's vision. And if you were only in it for the one guy's vision, now that there's six people, you're going to lose people. And when I was reading this this morning, I was realizing that her whole character career, America has been six or seven people's vision. And that one person is being given the opportunity to make it legitimate. And I feel like, you know, you're saying all of these incredible, fantastical possibilities. You're saying, what if they form a core? What if they form a unique utopian island? What if they have different powers? What if the cryo sleep that they... They were in and different genetics affects them and people are just like oh they've taken some of the magic out and i'm like no actually they've infused new different magic why is it bad that a single latin woman is reshaping this latin woman character's destiny instead of a bunch of white men it's not bad at all
9: it's not bad at all i feel like people are just um some fans just want to live in a positive reality and they're like that's america is their like positive reality where She's like, oh, well, she was in this great utopia and nothing bad ever happened. And now they're like, well, she was taken advantage of by this rich white man and blah, blah. Now that's her backstory. It's like, yeah, but like also her backstory is that her two lesbian Latinx moms gave her powers to try to save her life. Like, it it wasn't the white man that did, like, he wasn't scientists, he was the money. He was the money. He was the money, that's it. He didn't actually do anything except be rich.
8: (laughs) (laughs) And I want to add that it it feels very reductive to just reduce this story to being taken advantage of a white man, because I feel like it's a lot more complex in what it's actually trying to say, and... For America, previously, there really isn't anything unique about coming from a different world and seeing her two moms and wanting to be just like them. that That's thats America's want at her core, right? She mm-hmm. knows her moms are heroes. Doesn't, and, you know, that's changed into what kind of heroes we see them to be, whether we thought they were from Utopia and these two very super powerful women, as opposed to these scientist women saving these young girls. It's two different kinds of heroes. Same same sides, uh, two different sides of the same coin. But that want, I never, it doesn't feel like a unique want for America. There are plenty. Plenty of kids who have superhero parents that want to be a hero like their parent. Where's the where's the unique factor in America's story that makes her different, that makes her specifically special comparative to the other kid heroes running around in the exact same universe? And this story to me adds so much more on that take of we get to see specifically the heroes that her mom were, and now that she remembers and what they did. She has an actual, there, there's, there can be an actual drive to that want for her character arcs.
6: So like, kind of like what you were saying made me think. So like, it's it's a really compelling story to have your moms do all of this and go through all of this to have you, uh, you know, better yourself and, and become super powered. And it's a really depressing story, if you think about it, that the, like a utopian parallel would be this magical, wonderful place that I know people were like, ooh, I wanted to exist. But in the original version of Immense, anyway it fell and it got destroyed anyway so yeah i think it's it, it's better and more compelling this way because i mean the, the parent like the utopia had to fall anyway so like let's just never have made it really what they thought it was in the first place
8: i, I also want to add that the idea of utopia this idea of this world where there isn't anything wrong i personally don't know if it makes for the best storytelling because a lot of the best storytelling you need conflict yeah. what exactly would the conflict be from utopia everything is perfect there everything is is wonderful. That's not really compare, you know, compelling. Not to say that everything has to be tragic, milking of backstory and trauma and pain, but there isn't, in my way at least, of thinking and seeing where can you make it super interesting and compelling coming from this perfect world? Where where what, what, I am, Confucian. It's
0: why we call I, it's why we call um, Krakoa an island nation, not yeah. a utopia. Yeah, because it's not perfect.
8: If you, you can't, you can't write about a
6: utopia. Nobody wants to read about that. Everything's too perfect. When you write about a utopia, it's always, if you're going to write about a utopia, all the stories are always like, oh my God, the utopia is not as perfect as you think it is. Yeah. Blah, blah,
9: blah kind of thing.
0: It's Stepford Wives with optic blasts.
9: Yeah. 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 That's what it would be. Like, and that's why I, I was really happy, actually, when I, I was kind of like Jonah, when I first read the third issue, I was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But then I reread it and I was like, oh, well that, duh, that makes sense. It fits everything in the place. It makes America, like, actually, like, a real person now and identifiable and even better. And I'm like, I'm sure they're, hopefully, that they're going to adapt this into the MCU movie and then make her, like, even more Latinx, like, how she is now. So that's even more wonderful. Like, (laughs) we get real Latinx representation on the big screen. That's major in the superhero film. Speaking
0: of Latinx representation, oh, my God. It's unbelievable to me that there's a Latinx art team because all of the people of Latinx origin... Didn't just look like the generic, that's the Latin face. They all had unique features. I could tell these characters apart. Even the characters that were meant to look similar had enough visual differences. And I chalked that up to the incredible art team on this. The color on this book is second to almost none. I mean, I'm talking, I think this is like Marte Gracia levels of dynamic color. And I just think the art is this polished, cool, like it almost looks like the comic equivalent of a video game. Mm -hmm. And I feel like all of the Latin characters should... Go through as unique people. Yeah, There's- I
9: would have to agree. I mean, Carlos and Asus are really well together. I hope they work together again after this book because his like the the color and the way that's drawn really mesh well together. And it is like a video game. I didn't think about that. I was like, oh, I'm like watching an animated movie, but it is more like a video game because it's more polished and it's extremely beautiful. I yeah, definitely.
8: So, it's something that uh, I love, and it goes back to a point that you brought up, Nico. That you know, not every Latinx person is going to look the same. If you look at this young America core. All, all of the girls have a different hairstyle. Yeah, and something I really love about the, you know, the little brown girls that are. Amazing is that you have some with wavy hair, and you have some with much more curly hair, and then you have a couple in the back that have straighter hair. And I love that it's you know it just in that even though they might look very similar, there's a very unique differences between them enough that you can be like, okay, yeah, because not everybody has the exact same kind of hair, and that's nice that there's you know showing that. And what's funny, like when I had hair, it was pretty similar to
0: Jonah's in terms of like the thick, coarse texture of it, and just that there would be so much. And, like, I love that these are actual Latin hair. Like, this is actual Latin hair. Like, I feel like if I went to run my hand through it, I'd be like, ah, I'm stuck. And, like, <laughs> that's that's
9: real.
8: Yeah, the Italian wanna make, wants to make this straight, but the Latin wants to poof and curl.
9: So... <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Towards the end of the issue, uh, Catalina, is that how you say it? I believe so. Yeah, Catalina. Oh, I didn't even realize that she named it after herself, basically. The writer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She just spelled it different. But um, she kidnaps Alberto because she's, like, getting leverage over America to try to get this cure. Now, obviously, America Chavez is not a scientist, so she's not going to be able to make the cure. Who do y'all think, who do y'all theorize that she's going to go to to help make this cure? Like, there's many scientists on Earth are even off of Earth, but probably on Earth since she can't leave Earth right now. I hope she
6: does not go to Reed Richards or Tony Stark or or Hank McCoy because, you know, he probably like brainwashed her when doing it.
0: I think she has to go to somebody young because of all of the Kamala laws and stuff. I think she should go to uh, Amadeus Cho. Nadia, Nadia, Nadia. Nadia, Nadia, another great one. I think (gasps) there's so many young scientists that deserve the credit. And I love that you said she named her after herself kind of sort of because a catalyst is an element. That ignites change. And Kalinda plus Catalyst is kind of Catalina. And so if Kalinda's story is the catalyst for America's change, I'm thrilled and but go to go to go to amadeus he's too hot to be believed and he's like the seventh smartest man in the world and oh
6: why not oh, go to moon girl moon girl or, like literally I did that's just, why i went I did oh, just say uh,
0: Lune-
8: Lunella Lafayette. Uh.
6: brew
0: baby brew who <laughs> is you know beyond a genius and he's so familiar with non native to earth species and technology especially with his time serving alongside the avengers for the last couple of months and serving <laughs> in wakanda brew Really would have a depth of knowledge to pull from, and I'm an asshole. And I always think there's room to go see the scientist supreme, Monica Rappuccini. Ooh, ooh, ooh! What about Iron Ooh, there's another. Uh, one. Does she work on like genetic think... sequencing, or well, does she have don't tech? Like, she tech
9: more, so she's yeah. yeah she's like she's like Jonah. She's tech. Yeah, that's more probably <laughs> that's more engineering. <laughs> that's engineering more than science or yeah. Right. Oh. I I was thinking I do like the younger actually theory that she should go to a younger person because this is like they're all younger and everything and it'd bring more younger characters to the forefront but i was thinking from
0: the first one
9: right where's where is kate case is having lunch she's always eating she's just having lunch somewhere
0: tacos wrong she's actually right back there That's oh yeah. Her.
9: Oh yeah, she is nice. <laughs> Anyone did
0: that for me. It's amazing.
9: That is Aww. cute. I can't really see it. It's like a bright area with like hair. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's
9: pretty much it. That's Kate Bishop. That's Kate. That's Kate, Kate Bishop. Bishop. That's bright Kate Bishop bright area with hair. There, there you go. <laughs> but I was thinking she would probably go to Blue Marvel since she was Ooh. on a team with him. Ooh. And she knows that he, you know, he does like basically kind of everything in science. I don't know. But <laughs> he's really smart. Um and he deals with like he knows dealing with people with different powers and everything because he has that so i think he'd be able to help with that a little bit but i would like to see amadeus show as well so i don't know
8: <laughs> the person there is someone who i think could do it but i wouldn't trust them to do it which would be sinister oh, um, no, I, I, I wouldn't him. give any dna to sinister for any purposes but i do think sinister is smart enough in at least genetics to understand okay. that he could develop a cure but I wouldn't want him anywhere near it. And I then would in draw let Mr. Von Doom.
0: Yeah, let's just call the leader and the maker, <laughs> and let's just see if we can't get uh, the Hulk's alter ego that's also brilliant. To, let's get, yeah, okay, yeah, let's, let's just get the Astro
8: okay i said (laughs) that i didn't want him to do it but he could there is a very big difference he's like a scientist and i'm an engineer scientists think (laughs) i do but i would rather trust i think i would
6: trust mr sinister more than i would trust Beast at this point so
9: i don't know i uh... would i I don't i don't like i don't think beast would make clones and everything of america chavez And I think Sinister Uh, would. Okay, okay.
0: And now I'm thinking, because now we're talking about creepy genetic science puncture, you people. (laughs) And it made me remember that they dropped in that Mr. Hyde reference. Are you, who it is this? Is it Loki? Is it Mr. Hyde? And, you know, Mr. Hyde was used in uh, the Robbie Reyes Ghost Rider series, where, Mm. you know, we did see that he is very much about the experimentation on genetics again. And, you know, he is a character that is somewhat familiar to MCU people because of his appearances in the now not canon shield and you know there's so many nasty sick fucks that she could go to (laughs) i'm really hoping she goes to either moon girl or nadia or uh because i'm I'm thinking there's too many bad seeds for her to owe a favor to
5: yeah
6: but maybe maybe you're right maybe rod maybe maybe she goes to blue marvel and t'challa and they help her out
0: yeah you know t'challa is somebody that i feel like he's so honor bound i can't imagine him betraying a child like he can betray some other people because because he has to do what's right for the majority, mm-hmm. not an individual friend, and that's who T'Challa is straight up. That's who he
8: swears he is day one.
0: But... Even if it's his
6: wife, but I was gonna say <laughs>
8: I'm pretty sure if he did Storm would slap him and make him make him do the good. But yeah, I feel like
0: I hadn't even thought of it. Who is she gonna get help from? In my head I'm just like, oh she's gonna figure it out. No,
8: she no. No how, she, how would she she's she not, that? That. No. She not
9: she's she's very great, but she's, she's she, not a science. She's, like, science she's average intelligence. She represented like a lot us, of as us.
8: Dumb girl energy. Yeah,
9: <laughs> she's she's a bit definitely like the internet term uses. Um, I don't think she's this level, but like bimbo because like himbo. Yeah, I don't think she's that. Like are I think she's a little e- bit smaller. Are, I mean, Wait, smarter. You,
6: it's more appropriate to say e girl now. I think no, e girl. I, <laughs> no, I
9: don't know. Separate no, I'm, just separate no, I'm just separate separate separate. I've never heard of that, so I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> she's kind of
0: like you know. She's kind of like a. It, it's just so stupid to say, but she's kind of like an ultimate tagger or an American gladiator in that she's big and strong and beautiful and tactically able, and you must be tactically able. I don't care how big and strong you are. If you make the wrong judgment call every step, you're not going to succeed. And she doesn't make the wrong call, but she definitely operates from a place of fight or flight impulse. And I think that holds her back a little. So I definitely get what you guys mean by she's not the brightest cookie on the tray, right? Why would the cookies be bright? She's not the, (laughs) I don't want to say tastiest because she is tasty.
9: I was going to say tasty, but I guess
0: I've lost the metaphor. I guess I'm America Chavez, guys.
9: I mean, I would, yes.
0: <laughs>
9: you're strong and you're beautiful, but you're a little, it's, 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 it sometimes doesn't go all the way up to the top elevator to the top yeah. floor. It's and a little okay. it's That dicey. is okay. You know, we're all, we all have strengths. And
6: weaknesses <laughs> i mean she
9: was kind of the boom boom of the Ultimates, you know like boom boom and next wave and like yeah america and the ultimate she really was i would definitely agree with that she was the boom boom. she was the heart but also not really
0: <laughs> now i have one question for you guys there's only one issue left uh, what uh, what uh, and i don't think it comes out till august yeah till august i'm like that's a lot of time to wait for what has to be a hopeful con- like hopefully a conclusion mm-hmm. i just i what do you guys think there's time left for do you guys even think there is 20 pages that could end this issue this storyline with one story like
9: i i don't think it's gonna be um enough i definitely think it's gonna be open-ended to a point like she's gonna go to whatever scientist or whatever plan she has to go to to go to somebody it's gonna be another cameo definitely there has to be um and because i think even uh kalinda even said there was gonna be somebody else that hasn't shown up yet and that (gasps) obviously wasn't this issue so it's gonna be the next issue and i feel like they're gonna all be together all the girls and the two sisters and it's just going to kind of be like dun 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 the end question mark and then maybe they'll have her pick it up from there or maybe they'll be picked up in another story maybe with the Avengers or something I don't know because there's no other big groups that could maybe tackle this story together with it so yeah I'm not sure
6: I think so, my other they've got to, she's got to get through this and she's got to stabilize her powers to a point where she's not as uh, overpowered as she normally is because mm. I think that's going to be the kind of goal of this to make her a little bit more writable where she can show up more often and not be the,
9: like
0: oh my god you saved the day kind of thing
5: yeah
9: she's not gonna be they're gonna make her less superman and more uh i guess donna troy
0: yeah but it's like wonder girl like yeah um, yeah
9: it's perfect and yeah, i think that
0: works for her because mm,
9: yeah. donna troy is not invincible but she's still really strong yeah. she's not superman level so and donna and they're, troy they're, lives they're, on the mascara the mascara <laughs> I've never heard it called that and now I will not be able to think I of anything different. I, I hate I hate you, Nico. You made me think of the mascara now and I don't like I don't like that, but it is still funny. <laughs> 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 all right y'all did y'all have any final thoughts on this fantastic america chavez issue four
0: i guess i just didn't realize how much i loved it till i was talking with you guys about it i knew i liked it and i knew i was excited about it but like how much i loved it definitely became clearer to me in getting to talk about it with people and share my thoughts on it hearing them out loud i really feel like you know vote america <laughs>
6: <laughs> I, I would just say um the, the one thing i really love the, the whole creative team is just knocked it out of the park the art is beautiful and you can tell kalinda has done a lot of tv work in the way that each issue reads very much like an episode of a television show because you've got a like a, a good a point b point with a good overall arc for the whole story
8: i hope the creative team feels very proud of what they've accomplished that they're proud of their work And that they were able, uh, that they are able to stand by it no matter what. Because I know that I imagine there are a lot of people who are upset by the changes. And whether rightfully so or not, I hope that they understand that their art is their art. They're allowed to tell the story that they want to tell. And that standing by it for a really amazing story, I hope there's a lot more beautiful things to come.
9: I would say, yeah, I agree 100% with that. I was probably just gonna say exactly that, what Jonah just said. (laughs) I hope that, you know, I hope they take the criticisms like the the artist team with a grain of salt, you know, like, yeah. like, I guess take it in a little bit just because it helps everybody grow even if they don't really need it. But, but still, this is a, I think this is a really great way to reinvent a character and make them really a part of the Marvel universe and make them be able to be used more. And I love that because we need more Latinx women in the Marvel universe because we don't have a lot. So like great, I we have Farrell
0: and Thorne. I'm thrilled.
9: Yeah, Ooh, I'm like, <laughs> we, don't, we don't have a lot, so, and I'm there's there's a little bit more, but not much, so I I hope we get uh, Catalina again on a book because she was fantastic on this on this series, yes. and I'll say this again when review issue five. But I just want to see her writing again because, like you said, she writes really great TV, and this was basically like great TV. Yes. And I feel like that resonates with readers nowadays more. So if she yes. could get like another, maybe another solo book or a team book, maybe the Ultimates would be. Remember, cool if to bring she back.
6: wanted to do Spider Man, and uh, like her Spider Man was awesome. So I'd love to see her do Spider Man. Marvel, give her Spider-Man. I know, she I know be, they have a different track, but... Yeah,
9: know. she would be the first solo woman to write Spider-Man, and she doesn't even really have a big track record of comics. That would be insane, and That's I love that idea.
0: Amazing. I think my concern is that she's too high-profile a get. I think with the fact that she is an executive producer on multiple Star Trek prog- uh, projects makes it a little bit harder to, to nail her down for ongoing work. So I just hope that should she have to leave the character, she entrusts some kind of plan, some sort of vision board, to the next writer, mm-hmm. so they can say, "Okay, this is what the authentic voice of this character was going to do next." I would like to follow suit.
8: Pull a Willy Wonka and handpick your suitor through a trials and tribulations of walking through <laughs> <to> a factory,
9: <laughs> and see who's the best fit that way. I do hope we get another Latinx person, whether they be uh, female, male, gender neutral, any of that, those categories, like just another Latinx person writing America that way, it is still seen as authentic and they help, you know, push the culture even more through her since we know she is actually of this culture. So yay.